Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear I me? Can. Ruben. Uh, at least I hope it's me. Ruben, <laughs> hello. Ruben from Australia crisis. is here. Dave in Kentucky. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Thanks for patching in. It's more, it must be morning time there in Australia. Yeah, I'm supposed to be on a client call in half an hour, so I'll, I just thought I'd come in and say hi before oh, I have thank to. you, thank you. Yeah. I'm just going to run inside and get my the stuff that I need, such as uh, whiskey. I'll be right back. <laughs> Sounds good. Frank's growing a beard, looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of making me want to try. Yeah. How have you been, Dave? Uh had some problems lately. Mm. My, my uh, um, Laverne, my cat. Mm. I do, well, I would say she's the one that always comes and gets on my shoulder during these, but mm. uh, you haven't been here for that, so you wouldn't know what I was talking about. But um, yeah, I, I did a little show about it just recently. Mm. Here's another one now. This one's Squiggy. <laughs> Hello there. From the same show. <laughs> From the same. Oh, what a beautiful room. specimen. What a lovely. Here. Uh, Come here, baby. Let's mm. let's show you off. Hi there. <laughs> Say hi, Ruben. <laughs> I'm I'm in the office, so I have to, I'm just on audio. So, but I'm waving. I just can't see. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So for security reasons, you, you can't show the video, right? Yeah, uh, I, it's probably fine. But just to be on the safe side, just in case. Also, I haven't brushed my hair, so it's a convenient excuse. <laughs> so you don't have your hat on either. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. And the picture I do. Actually, it's, that coffee has got to be pretty stale by now. That's like this a five-year-old photo. <laughs> uh, Actually, a funny story. It was taken um, in a, a beautiful little cafe in um, Brooklyn when I was in New York, I think in 2016. Oh, yeah. And it's just, for some reason, it's just been my profile picture ever since. I don't know why, but uh, maybe it reminds me of happy times. Yeah. Uh, I've, I saw your um, guitars up there as well. They're beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got... Uh... The electric one is is a Gibson, but it's not a fancy mm. Gibson. Mm. The uh, the two two gray ones are steel bodied uh, national resonator mm. guitars. Oh, beautiful! This one is a tricone, mm. and this one is a single cone, mm -hmm. uh, biscuit cone. You know. Oh yeah, I can see. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, unfortunately, I'm not the talented musician in the family. My sister is, but she's yeah. uh, she plays bass, and yeah, um, she's always showing me photos of stuff that she's just bought or um, guitars and things. I'm very jealous. Yeah, I've got some. I need to go and and sell. Take to music go round or something. Mm. I had this whole rack full up here. Oh wow! Yeah, I can <laughs> and see. And I it. decided cool. that you know that's too many guitars for me at my age and I can't I've got thumb problems you know I can't really grip mm. the neck right so I can't really play anything other than slide guitar mm. so I needed to get rid of some of them so I I cleaned them all up cleaned the mm. cases out put them in the cases 
stacked mm -hmm. them all up out in the garage to take somewhere. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Them, and I just never have got around to it. They're just <laughs> piled up. Sounds out about of right. Uh, I, I have the same problem with I'm going through a bit of a, a retro computer phase. So I just have this pile of computers that I've, I've bought over time, which are fun, but like, do I ever actually use them? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> They're just there. And I'm thinking at what point do I say, okay, probably enough is enough. I don't have the space. Oh, we have a Frank again. Yes, hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm using my, uh, my little uh, refurbished laptop I brought to Europe. Uh, so cool. I could do the show on the road. It's worked out really well. It's like 140 bucks, you know? Yeah. 2016 model. Perfect for most things. It, it, do, it really amazes me. Just like you can go. Um, I don't know. Can I hear get... you? I don't know if I can hear you. Oh. Ah, here we go. Testing Sorry. one, two. There we oh, go. Now I hear you. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I was just saying it's, it is amazing what you can, um, like companies will want to sell you the new shiny thing, but it's amazing just what, something even cheap from five years ago is still fully functional and works just completely really fine well. like, completely yeah. fine michael fair from mississauga hey, ontario canada welcome yeah. to the exit ramp meet ruben <laughs> from australia Hello. really it's morning time I'm, in australia now oh wow <laughs> so, i'm in the office so it's like I've, i'm probably shouldn't be on video but i'm waving <laughs> if you can't see okay <laughs> well Something was just nattering at me. <laughs> there we go. How are we all today? Doing pretty good. Just lost a game of Path of Adventure, unfortunately. But other than that, <laughs> minor defeat. <laughs> I got my uh, my birthday uh, whiskey here. This is uh, the Lafroig 16 years. So this little bit in this glass here is probably worth I don't know, twenty dollars or something. It's ridiculous how expensive it is, but it's a birthday present. So, cheers! Beautiful, cheers! <laughs> cheers! Mm. Mm. Do you think I could get away with drinking whiskey in the office at eight forty-five? Oh, hey, <laughs> you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. I mean, yeah, it's five, thank it's, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's seven o'clock here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have some sort of beer in my hand. I grabbed it with it out of the fridge, and I have no idea <laughs> what it is. Live taste test. With that new yep. growth on your face, Frank, it kind of looks like it's been 5 o'clock for a while where you are. Oh, 5 o'clock shadow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just uh, haven't shaved in a few days. Yeah. But I am going to work tomorrow, so I have to go. Uh -huh. the, rare, the rare case of going to work, because we're... We, we're <laughs> We're having tacos, uh, you know, so having a taco have to get your priorities so. in order. Yeah. 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 <laughs> tacos are always nice. I will <laughs> say that's something I really miss about the US is your is Tex-Mex, Mexican, like that whole thing. Australians cannot like they say they can, but we have Mexican food here and it's awful. It's just <laughs> what are you doing? Like, I, I really miss that um, American flavor of stuff. It's just amazing. Yeah, and there's a lot of good vegan uh, Mexican places. Like in New York City, there's a, a mm. uh, there's a place called Ha Ha Ha. It's J A J A J A, oh. and they have like several locations. It's fully vegan Mexican. It's absolutely fantastic. So. Beautiful. But that's not where we're going tomorrow. We're we're trying someplace <laughs> new. So. I had a bit of a cu culture clash recently. I was in so uh, my partner Claire and I were in Tokyo earlier this year, 
and there's this chain of extremely bad Australian Mexican food called Guzman Gomez and they're everywhere in Tokyo I was like first of all why <laughs> why would you why would you go to this Australian themed Mexican restaurant and they're everywhere in Tokyo and everyone seems really? to really like it wow and we went there and it was awful it's just yeah well it's kind of like it's like bizarre. around here like you know this new york new jersey should be the area where there's like the best pizza but people still uh like to get the Domino's because i think they're used to the flavor of it right they know what they're getting even yeah. though it's in general if you're a pizza connoisseur you'll you wouldn't want to get Domino's. they i still see people ordering it give me one second here yeah <laughs> actually that yeah that's a good point um yeah I, I suppose it's similar to a lot of fast food people just want that comforting familiarity um, as opposed to something really good. Yeah, we have our, our foods like that here. Swish LA comes to mind. Yes. It's actually quite a nice chicken, but yeah, like it's, it's, it, 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 there are probably better things out there, but it's just, that's what you go to because it never lets you down. Like you never get a bad meal mm. from them. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. We did pretty well in Europe, you know, with, uh, on Italy and, and Austria and Germany mm. uh, with vegan food. So it was. Uh, yeah, sad. I thought you'd have a lot more trouble. I was uh, that was a fascinating thing to hear. Well, yeah, because like in, yeah. in uh, Bari in southern Italy, there's only one fully vegan place, Flower Burger, but it's a great, great place. And in Venice, there's only one fully vegan place, which was in this out of the way area. But it was a really nice little vegan restaurant. And uh, even in, in uh, Innsbruck, mm. they said everything's closed on a Sunday, but Everything was open. Most things were open, and there was an, another vegan hamburger place right there. So beautiful. Even the Hard Rock Cafe in Innsbruck, Austria, has a has a vegan submenu. Apparently, they're the first Hard Rock Cafe ever to have that. So we did not go, but hmm. yeah, I don't know if Hard Rock Cafe is still really that relevant anymore. But it feels <laughs> it feels like a holdover from a, an earlier age. But yeah, what about there was uh, there was also uh, was it Planet Hollywood was the other one? I'm not yeah. sure if that was around the same time, but haven't ever seen yeah. one of those in a long time. And that Rainforest Cafe that I kept hearing about never got yes. to. The Rainforest mm. Cafe is still existing. The, the one at Menlo Park Mall in New Jersey, which is considered the worst one in the world, is still open. Oh, I actually wow. stopped by there a few months ago. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was, you know, it's all deteriorated now. They have an audio animatronic alligator that used to move and make sounds. Mm. And there was the, the theatrical smoke and it's all broken now. They're never going to fix it. Uh, that's a shame. So Ruben, it's great to hear from you. So it's like, uh, so what's going on in uh, Australia and stuff these days? Uh, you know, when I'm when I'm not being chased down the road by a kangaroo or something. Um, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're just coming out of winter, which was like we just had a bitterly cold one um, by our standards. I'm I'm sure in Canada, uh, Scandinavia, as we joke, um, you probably hear that and be like, oh, you know, uh, trying to think what the Fahrenheit would be like fifty. 60 Fahrenheit's probably still a leisurely temperature, but for us, that's you may as well be walking around with penguins. <laughs> very unusual. Um, but like uh, I, I've heard, I've seen all the stories and, and news about how how much stuff is on fire up there. So I'm not looking forward to the next few months down here when it flips. It's our turn. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, you guys are. We well, we certainly thank you for your firefighters up here. Uh, we had a heck of a summer with uh, wildfires, and uh, I I know I heard some Australian voices in, in amongst the people that were uh, trying to help us. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm sure. Hopefully, we'll return the favor. I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ca Canadians and Americans have been instrumental in uh, in us when we. So it it was actually at the point where I, I think it was the 2019 bushfire season in around Sydney where there was literally fire licking the the grass outside my father's house and like we were packing up and Whoa. evacuating. And we heard a couple of extremely thick Canadian accents, like pull up in this helicopter and stuff and jump down and start helping. It was like, whoa, okay, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that there's that camaraderie of all of us. Like we're all in the fight together, right? So Yeah, you know, it really helps, especially you hear all the crappy news as well. It, it, you need stuff like that to, to try to counterbalance it. But yeah, but yeah like I, I think I've, Australia has been a part of, of my kind of life going back to the 90s, I had a Eureka A4 computer, which was designed oh, wow, for blind okay. people. Mm. It had an Aussie accent and it had <laughs> a braille keyboard and no screen. So it was it was a CPM machine. CPM, and, no kidding. Cool. Yeah. I, yeah. Used to, I used to use yeah. CPM when I was in college. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I, I yeah. thought no one but a blind person could use it, but mm. I didn't count on my friend Adam. Uh, he uh, he got hold of the manual, which had a braille to print uh, transcription. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, so he could he could type it, and he used that. He waited until my parents called me out of the room, so I was busy. And he surreptitiously set my alarm for like three a.m. in the morning, <laughs> and then hooked it into my stereo mm -hmm. with the headphone jack, and so I was sleeping away. And all of a sudden, good morning. And it started, you know, -na -na -na, wake up, -na 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 -na, right? <laughs> oh, just, with the Aussie uh, accent as well, that would just yeah, be exactly. Just exactly what you need at three in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just, uh, it, it totally trashed French classes. I had I used that in French and it just did not handle uh, <laughs> that well at all. <laughs> Carrie Michelle, can you hear us? Oh, yes, finally Carrie. I can hear you. <laughs> Welcome to the exit ramp. Thank, thank you so much for patching in. It's been a long time since we heard from you, Carrie. How, how, how have you been? Oh, gosh, so much has happened, but I'm doing okay. Carrie, do you, do you know Dave in Kentucky, Ruben from Australia, and uh, Michael from Canada? I, I'm not... It's been a long time. It's been a while, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, Carrie, where where in the world are you living right now? What part of the, the um, world? Right now, I'm in East Texas. Oh. oh, so you're back in Texas again? Okay. Yes, I've been back for about six weeks now, and it is so oh, wow. hot. Wow. So you're like in the? <laughs> are you near like Houston, that kind of area, or? Um, actually, I'm only about an hour from Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Have you heard wow. of Nacogdoches, Texas? Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of that before. <laughs> is, it, is it near like Corpus Christi or anything? Or? No, no. No, I'm actually further north, um, up closer to the Louisiana border. So very, oh, very wow. East Texas. It's a very tiny town. I'm just not saying what it is because I happen to be going through a divorce right now. <laughs> uh oh no! Fun. Wow. So yeah. for, for those that don't know, Carrie had, was a, a sort of a, a big personality here on the Overnight Escape Underground for many years, and it's been a few years since we've heard from from you, Carrie. So uh, really great to see you. I'm so happy, and you, you don't know how happy I am to see you because. Uh, <laughs> well, thank uh, you. Yeah. How is everybody else? Doing pretty good. I'm I'm from Mississauga in Canada, and uh, it's uh, kind of right near Toronto. So yeah, lots of, of city around here. Nice. 
So hopefully some yeah. some more people will come in. I know that uh, well Jerry A Green lives sort of near you. He's somewhere near Houston. And uh, okay. there's a, there's a little town called Cut and Shoot Texas. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. It's uh it's just weird because when I was a toddler, I used to say cut and shoot over and over again. And we don't know why we're thinking maybe my uh, my last uh, incarnation was somehow in Texas. I don't know. As a little kid, I, yeah, so that, that's really weird. So you were in now, now you were in uh, you went from Texas to like Colorado, right? That was like originally. Yes, in the Denver area in Colorado. I actually lived in a small town up in the mountains. And yeah, just been there for about. Let's see, I was in Colorado for about nine and a half years, and I know it's been about seven years since I've participated in anything on SUG. We're still, we're, we're still, I'm, I'm amazed we're still here. Look at this. That's wonderful. It's, it's, I know. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, we just, uh, what was, what was the, the, yeah, 20, yeah, the 20 year milestone was earlier yeah. this year for the, the overnight escape. An amazing bunch amazing. of shows that was. <laughs> yeah, so everyone go in the archive and check out the Carrie Michelle show. That's uh, that's still there. Now, what was the thing? You had a friend that was in Oklahoma or something. I was was wondering about that. What was her name? Iris or something? Do you remember this? Is this ringing a bell? Uh -uh. There wasn't. There wasn't like some other someone else on your show a couple times. Like a, I don't know why. It's like this vague memory. I. I, I... It might have been my friend Tammy in San Antonio. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, I had another friend that I had on the show, um, Renee, and she lives in Denver. Maybe it was her. I'm not sure. Because yeah. it's, it's been such a long time with all this stuff that my memories are sort of indistinguishable from like weird dreams and, you know, trying to remember <laughs> this stuff. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, what you, happens when yeah. you, you you let loose your anchor from reality? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Reality, that ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> to, about the time that Jimbo passed away, Carrie, were you aware that, that that he had passed? Yes, I was. Actually, I had done quite a few laugh clips for him. Um, probably about six months before he had passed away. I was really sad to um, hear that he had passed. So. Yeah, I've, I've just been doing the uh, the Jimbo section in the in the newly updated book. So nice. I was thinking about oh, Jimbo cool. a lot. Yeah, so yeah, it was uh, around November 2017 when he passed away. And um, I'm just so happy that we have such a, he sort of can live on through through the uh, this archive. You can get to I know, agree. You can get to know Jimbo so so much. Yeah. It's so many episodes. Yeah. Yeah, he was a great guy. Definitely funny guy. <laughs> we only have that one picture of him, but we, you know, at least we have one. <laughs> yes. Very true. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I, I still remember him. he was um asking me to, I think it, he had this um this multimedia project that he started obviously didn't get around to finishing it but he's like can you do a really aussie accent for me and i was like well i, I the problem <laughs> is i, I grew up overseas so yeah <laughs> so it i i actually didn't really i grew up in in asia so i don't i actually didn't really have that much australian influence on me as a kid so oftentimes people think i'm english not australian maybe being back here has tweaked it a bit but i was like oh yeah mate how you going and he's like, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> was that for ho ho hometownville? Uh, it, I think it could have been. Yeah, yeah. that's it. 
That's that a was, name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, that was his show that took place in like with Eskimos in the 1920s. It was a, a very ambitious project that that went mm. pretty well for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think my character was Naked Larry, the Naked Eskimo. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> that was fun. Cool. I might have um, had um, I'm actually unfortunately um, the the guy who pays my bills has just sort of poked his head around the door and asked if I can join this meeting a bit early. So I'm going to have to leave, unfortunately. But it's right, great Ruben. to see you all again for a few. Thanks minutes. so much for patching in, yeah. Ruben. It's great to hear from you, and hopefully, you. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, have uh, I'll schedule one of these where, you'll, where you can have more time. When yeah, it's sounds a, great. We a weekend morning or something. All right, thanks yeah, we'll for patching in, Ruben. Thanks, everyone. Catch Bye -bye. you later. Bye. Bye, Bye. Ruben. That was Ruben from Australia. Anne, Anne from New York just came in. And uh, yeah, you just missed, you just, you just caught Ruben briefly. Yeah, that's kind of a shame because it's Ruben who kind of led me to the overnight skate in the first place. Really? I was, I was looking for Hollow Fantasia and somehow the Ruben Erd show came up. And that was how I first found a link to your uh, station. Yeah, that was the, na so. the name of a little photocopied publication I made back in the 80s. And about the uh, reality zoning concept, yeah. And I guess he referenced it at some point in his show. Um, yeah. And for some reason, that's the first thing that came up on my Google search when I Googled it. Really? So, that's wild. Yeah. Also, that guy James from Scotland, who was on the exit ramp a few times ago, two times ago or last time, he also found us through through Ruben uh, because mm. of Ruben's tech tech blogs and things. So Ruben is sort of brings a lot of people to us. So. Yeah, so I'm sorry I couldn't thank him, but you know, maybe another time. Yeah. So uh, well, for me, it, it was Spark that uh, I think first alerted me to to the overnightscape, uh, the CBC show uh, really? on Cam Radio Canada. Uh, Nora Young is the host, and uh, she does she still does Spark all these years later, and it, it's uh, basically about tech and how life and tech intersect, kind of thing. And so yeah, it was. Uh, it's one of those those happen to be listening moments. And, Amazing! Uh, like I did, like all these things. I never know that people are like promoting the show over, through all these years, but it has been a long time. Yeah. So Anne, have you met Carrie? She Carrie uh, in Texas. She uh, she was a big participant in our channel here a number of years ago. And now she's back. Excellent! <laughs> Welcome. I know I've heard talk, Frank talk about you numerous times. So. Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. Here we have Jan Eric in Norway patching through. Oh, Jan Eric. It said John Eric, kind of. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that name. Yes. <laughs> Jan Eric is here. So do you so you remember Jan Eric from from way back when, Carrie? I do, yes, yes. It's been a while since I've listened to anything, but I will say on my trip from Colorado to Texas, I listened to one of the exit ramps, and I do believe it was the 20th anniversary episode, and I was like, oh, I missed it. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to catch all those and uh and then actually get uh, one of my segments on the show on, on the show I'm on, Kelly and Ramia. Uh, was was about the overnight scape. So glad all that worked out. Wow, nice. Yeah, this it's just so weird. Like sometimes I do web searches and I find like there's there's over the years there's been all of these <laughs> like 
weird websites that just collect all that RSS feed data and patch it into these mm -hmm. other pages. And so I see my own show notes on these weird alien websites. It's, it's <laughs> kind of kind of strange, but I bet. A lot of people have found me through old blog posts that I have up there still uh, about all kinds of things. I, I wrote uh, for years. I kept a, a pretty regular blog about just living blind, what it was like, what things I was getting up to and stuff. And and people will search for just anything and, and stumble on it somehow. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's interesting. There seems to be, uh, you know, people in, in like sort of in the air, there seems to be a sense of people returning to what they did in the past. And you remember, I'm sure, Carrie, uh, Neil from Ireland with Into Your Head. Uh, he's bringing his yeah. show back. He's bringing his show back uh, next month after, I think, about seven years off the air. So it's going to be great to hear from uh, from Neil again. Of course, I and Jan Eric helped me. You helped me, too. We we tried to piece together what we could of the archive of uh, his show, a Neil from Ireland show, Into Your Head. And uh, I had some. Jan Eric had some, and uh, we found some online, and so we were able to. I think we preserved two hundred something out of seven hundred something of the shows, and I still have old discs I can try to look into if I have more episodes of his. But yeah, he's coming back. And then, of course, the uh, the video game store that was such a big part of my life that closed before the overnight escape started. It closed in two thousand two. It's coming. It's reopening this Saturday, so I'll be going down there. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that was like a really early example of a video game collecting store and the whole kind of Northeast video game collecting scene when it was very new, all gathered there. And um, wow. yeah, some, some folks actually went to Texas and opened the National Video Game Museum in Frisco, north of Dallas. Um, and so like that's just one example of all the different, you know, it was the epicenter of video game collecting before people even knew you could collect video games. Oh, wow. So yeah, after 21 years, this guy Mike is reopening the store. <laughs> and the address on Highway 9 is uh, 2209. 209, this is my favorite number. <laughs> nice. Well, I hope you get there with the weasels one of these days. That would be awesome. I know. I was thinking of, yeah, just, uh, I was thinking of asking them if they wanted to go down. But yeah, we're going to have to get together soon, though. But uh week after next, I'm going to be going up to Boston with Manny the Mailman to meet Rule from the Netherlands. So that's going to be kind of like a, an old oh, school wow. overnight skate adventure. Yeah, Rule definitely. Rule is staying in Massachusetts this time. So uh, we're just finalizing our plans to head up there. Stay over, stay over a few fun. nights. Yeah. That'll be fun. Are you guys going to record? Yes, we're going to record. Nice. In fact, um, my brother's friend, Mark, who lives in Boston, you may have heard him on a show called uh, Combat Zone. He's quite a character, and uh, I'm asking my brother to contact him to see if he'll be around, see if we can stop by and say hello to him. He's quite a character. So. Was he the guy who's basically off the grid? Is that, is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he doesn't have any technology, really. He has a radio and a, tele and a landline, and I think that's he it. He doesn't have much a of a filter, either. No, it's he. Uh, he speaks as if it's still like the '70s and all of those words and sentiments that are now considered quite forbidden. He's <laughs> just fine to to say, which I can understand if you've been out of touch. But you know, just 
it was fine last time he was in contact with the world. I mean, it's like the whole thing is it was never like okay to say those things, but in certain company, in certain contexts, there's certain subtleties to the whole thing. There are no subtleties anymore. You just don't say those. You know, Kendrick, I know he, he doesn't under he I, he's never gonna understand that, but. <laughs> You know. Kind of make me think of this book I read, uh, Stranger in the Woods. It was about this hermit who basically lived alone uh, out in the woods for something like 20 years. It was something ridiculous like that, like a really long time, and just, you know, lived as much as he could in solitude. And this reporter tracked him down. I can't remember the author's name, but it was, it was a fascinating read, just, you know, what this guy, you know, when he eventually was basically caught burglarizing a I guess it was a campsite and he, cause he needed, you know, he needed food and stuff. Right. So, you know, he would do that. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, this reporter found him and, and started just picking apart, like, what was this life like? Right. It was just fascinating stuff. I bet. Do you remember sure his was, name? Oh, I'm trying. It's not coming to me. Um, but I, I do remember it was like Stranger in the Woods. It was called something like that. Uh, probably that. I, I'm pretty sure I've got the title right. Uh, I, I heard it in Audi Audible. Um, it's one of the ones I, I actually heard narrated. And, and I'm glad I made that choice. You know, sometimes it's good to have a book in ebooks so I can look at how things are spelled and stuff because you can't do that with an audio Audible book. But, uh, you know, for some of these things, it's just great to get the voice, you know, the performance. So was it in Maine? It Because uh, the stranger in the woods, it comes up as that it was a guy in Maine for 27 years living in the woods. That sounds right. Christopher Knight is his name. Wait, isn't, ah. that, isn't that Peter Brady or is that? No. Isn't uh, that, let no, me that, look. Well, um, maybe they did the same name. But, because it, well, there was the reporter Maybe. and there was the guy, right? Like there was the author of the book and then there was the guy who was, an, and I think Christopher Knight might have been the guy's name okay. as opposed to yeah. the, the author. Um, yeah, that that's the, what is it? Oh, I forget what character he played on the Brady but Brady Bunch, but yeah, that's the same name. Yeah, Peter Yeah, Peter Brady, yeah, Christopher he, Knight. Yeah. yeah, that's his name as well as this really? guy yeah. in the woods, yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> interesting namesake in fact uh synchronicity because uh greg brady uh barry williams um just premiered on uh, dancing with the stars last night and i only know that because my wife was watching it i don't watch those kind of shows anymore but I, um he's still doing all right i guess he's uh he's like i saw that he's like 12 or 13 years older than me so i'm like i'd hope he's be somewhat older than me like I, when i was a little kid like he was like already a teenager he had to be somewhat older than me but um yeah apparently he's doing really well and apparently he may be the oldest winner because he's doing really well the oldest winner of uh dancing with the stars ever the previous oldest winner was his friend uh, donny osmond oh wow yeah that's so cool <laughs> but i think all the brady kids are still alive right they they did that show that was a really cool show i would say five or six years ago where they um they found a house that they used as the establishing shot for the and every episode of the Brady Bunch, you see the house. It's like someone's real house in California had a completely different interior. So they bought that house and they gutted it and they rebuilt it to look like the actual Brady Bunch house inside. And then they, <laughs> and then it was like a contest. You could win the house. 
Oh, wow. At least that I watched that. Yeah, that was really good. And then all, so all six kids were alive and they all participated in the show. Obviously, Alice and the mother and father have passed away. But all the kids are still alive. Yes, they Which are. Is amaz- it's amazing because you'd think like all those, these child stars that are so disturbed and die of all these drug overdoses, somehow the Brady Bunch was happy. Even Cousin Oliver is still alive, I think. I'm not sure. I haven't really checked in a while. Hmm. Well, so is Florence Henderson, the mom, Carol Brady. Yeah. She's oh. 79. <laughs> oh, Florence Henderson is still alive. I thought, yes. Oh. Wait a minute. Mandela, Mandela effect. Wait a second. <laughs> really? She's still around? Yes. Okay. Right. That's what this is saying. Yeah. Right. Of course, the internet could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think, yeah. Oh, there, there's so many people I've been dead certain were dead, and then I found oh, out God, suddenly that they weren't. The time. And, you know, I, I was watching. Uh, I was, <laughs> Not I was that watching. I wish they die, but, you know. <laughs> well, but they've already died. You remember them dying. Like, I absolutely 100% remember being at, um, listening to, uh, I think it was the Opie and Anthony show on my headphones. And I was walking around Borders Books at Penn Station in New York City. And it was after Mr. T had died. And they were doing this whole tribute show about him and everything. And I so clearly remember it. And then a few years later, oh, Mr. T is still alive. Like I, I heard a whole tribute <laughs> show about how the guy died. Wow. And wow. now he's now he's alive again. Like it's see, I I don't really get memories like that. It's more if I don't hear anything from someone who I presume like has done something good enough that I think I ought to hear something from them in a while, I might just presume, oh, they're probably dead and not think twice yeah. about it. Right. Until years later when all of a sudden something uh makes me you know, realize, oh, they're they're actually alive. They were never dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and I was yeah. watching uh, that James Bond movie, Moonraker, uh, recently from 1979. And it's funny because they have, a, like, I think subconsciously, because I saw it a long time ago, but they're in uh, Venice and they're on cable cars and stuff. So I think subconsciously I related my trip to this movie. <laughs> so I just thought I should really watch Moonraker. And it got to that scene. It's, does everyone remember Moonraker Jaws, uh-huh. right? Who had the biting metal, through the, the cable, the yeah. metal teeth, and he meets this woman <laughs> who, her name is Dolly, apparently, and she has these uh, braids, and he becomes his uh, girlfriend. And when he smiles, you you see his metal teeth, and when she smiles, you see her braces. Right? Everyone remembers this a hundred percent. She had braces, <laughs> and it, that was the gag. That was the shtick. That they were made for each other. I saw <laughs> that movie when it came out in '79. Everyone saw it. Now she has no braces. It is the most. What? She does not have braces. There's not a single brace. Just has regular teeth. It is the most insane <laughs> thing. It is one of the biggest Mandela effects. Well, my my theory uh, about that is that it's because it would have made so much sense. Everybody remembers it that way. Yeah. But actually, they didn't really film it that way. They just should have because it or, would have totally made sense. Or. You know how they have these director's cuts and so on that they that they substitute for the original version from time to time. Could be something like that going on. Could be. Especially if she wasn't in the movie a lot, right? Like if she was only in for... But it was a very memorable scene. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was funny because Jaws was just a sort of a throwaway villain, but apparently I was watching Making of Moonraker and Moonraker is a very, very silly movie, but it's enjoyable as one of the silly James Bond movies. They said that uh, a lot of kids were huge fans of James Bond movies, and uh, the kids loved the character Jaws, played by Richard Keel, this big guy is like eight, seven feet tall, eight feet tall with the metal teeth. And they're like, why can't he be a good guy? Can you make him a good guy? We love this guy. So they kind of they sort of made him into a good guy in Moonraker. Um, so 
he had been in a few other movies so this was like really and this him finding this this girlfriend it was like the most memorable scene of the movie really in a lot of ways and i know what you're saying dave that you'd think she'd have braces you're just sort of assuming it but i could swear she no, i'm not saying yeah. that i'm saying <laughs> you could have seen the, the original I, yeah. version she could have had the braces but now they have substituted you know I, alternate clear alternate takes well the movie. it's just that you know like the whole bernstein bernstein bear thing which is one yeah. of the biggest mandela effects like i actually found a, a book in the attic when i was cleaning out my parents house and it's stain s-t-a-i-n even yeah. though it's been sitting in the attic for like 40 years i don't remember stain i remember steen s-t-e-i-n so i think the only logical explanation is that you're from a different timeline frank <laughs> well i mean could be. I, I, think I, I see it, no yeah. other way no. <laughs> the idea like the idea is that there were perhaps two timelines and they were merged together but our memories did not get merged properly pq hey and carrie michelle's here i hey. see and dave Hi, and... PQ. hello Hi, good PQ. to see you well, hello here I am. So what do you think, PQ, about in Moonraker, uh, Jaws' girlfriend, without that she used to have braces when you watched the movie, but now she doesn't. You're familiar with all that? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's trippy. That, do you, that's do you remember the braces? I do. I, I, I'd swear, I mean, it might be the power of suggestion, but I, I'm pretty sure we're being like, uh, our reality is being reforged. Yeah, there's something weird going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, but she did have. There was some imperfection. I remember that. I remember that clearly at the end of the movie. There was some reason why she could not be part of the villains group. Yeah, because uh, James Bond, when they're on the space station, says to Drax, the villain, "It's true that people with any physical defects." will not be welcome in your new world. He's like, of course not. And then Jaws realizes that him and yeah. the girlfriend have glasses. And so, or oh, know, whatever, whatever. Okay. she had yeah. glasses. Yeah. So he obviously had all sorts of issues. So, uh, <laughs> so that, that's what turned him into kind of sort of a good guy. Towards yeah. the end. Um, that movie well, is, so, was, <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm just saying the movie, like it, at that point in 1979, the space shuttles were really cool, but they look so so dorky now <laughs> <laughs> well you're not the only one because the consensus on the internet is that people sure do seem to remember that she had braces but she did not <laughs> in this reality she did not but in the reality that i used to live in she did <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that was the sad reality where gene wolf wasn't an actual author so i know i'm sorry I'm you still, had to grow up there i'm still having trouble with gene wolf uh in terms of like resolving him in my mind because i started i did like the first book and a half on the audiobooks but then i sort of it's not i want to keep listening but it's sort of it's only like it's partially real it's not really there you should you should read stephen king's er uh you are i think it is uh basically it's about uh kindle that gives access to books in alternate realities. And you can go in like this English teacher orders this Kindle and it, you know, it, it has this facility and it he ends up getting into 
serious trouble. Uh, but it, it was a neat sort of idea and really kind of- Yeah, because all you need is to be able to transfer ones and zeros from these alternate dimensions. And you'd think that'd yeah. be easy enough, no? Yeah, it was, it was part of- if you get his book uh, Bizarre of Bad Dreams, it's it's in that book. It's that's a cool book anyway because he gives like he gives uh, like some of his best short stories and then notes like why he thought them up. So fantastic read that book. I pretty much just read the dark the Dark Towers series by Stephen King. That was good. This I was like, the... I gotta bounce. I might I might be back later, but I gotta I gotta take off for a little minute. It's good. All to right. Talk hopefully to we'll, hopefully we'll see you again soon. And yeah, in New York, I, I may be Thanks. back depending. Hope thanks, to see thanks, you back thanks. here. Nice to meet you. It's good yeah. to meet you. Yeah, good to see you. I can't hang myself up. Hey, Chad. How's it going? Chad, hey. Alabama. Hey there, Freck. I was going to say that another person that to me that is sort of semi-real is this uh, Adam Curtis, the documentary filmmaker for the BBC. Again, I have a hard time resolving his identity in my mind as if he's only like 75% in this timeline. But uh, if anyone's familiar with his work, there's a, a website called thoughtmaybe.com that has all his documentaries for free. And the latest one from last year is called uh, Trauma Zone, Russia, 1985 to 1999. Has anyone heard of it? No. Uh -uh. So it's basically mm -hmm. the BBC, I guess, had been sending their, their news crews to Russia and all their surrounding areas extensively. And they have mass amounts of footage, B-roll, human interest stories and everything. So he got access to this entire archive. Uh, so it's, I'm only on the second episode, but it's utterly remarkable because uh, it sort of combines the political stuff with just day-to-day -day life of people in, in, in Russia and surrounding areas. I have to strongly recommend it, but he's another person that seems semi or semi-real to me. Hmm. Oh, I, I know what happened. It was that uh, when I was doing that, uh, the test broadcast for the Onsug Radio, there was that, Remember that Andy Kaufman thing? Uh, one of the later Andy Kaufman lives recordings, and this guy John Lundberg was on. He was uh, that filmmaker that interviewed me nine years ago, but the movie never came out. The movie about Andy Kaufman faking his death. And I was just reading random stuff online about his other movie, Mirage Men, and it, Adam Curtis uh, reviewed his movie. So... It was like this weird connection because I just thought about I was trying to think of Adam Curtis's name just the night before, and then it's on this super this <laughs> random clip out of two hundred and seventy eight thousand clips. That clip, anyway. you know, wow. you should um, you should interview him, Frank, because it might help with your um, you know cognitive you know issues with how you think of him. You think I might align my reality more with one where he still exists? Or? I think if you talk to him, yeah, like like over a Zoom call like this and. You know, he shows you like he's into gardening or something. Well, I don't know how available. Like Adam Curtis is a big, big, famous guy. I don't know if he's going to want to come on the overnight stage. Oh, of course he will. I don't think he's as famous as you think he is. Uh, much people with much more notoriety than that sit around bored most of the time. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've no, you know. I mean, it's just how it goes. Well, John Lundberg would be like I've talked to him a few times. He's the guy that he he works with Banksy and he works with MI6 and he does the crop circles and all this other stuff. Yeah. I don't know what the heck this guy is. I, I, I mean, he might be the kind of person that's wow. hey. bu building his whole list. Is that Carrie Michelle? Yes, Chad. Carrie Michelle is here. 
Hi, Chad. Hey, Michelle. That's amazing. <laughs> good to see you. I know. I'm so happy Gary's here. Yes. <laughs> My goodness. Wow. It's been a long time. And Carrie's back yes. in Texas. She's back in Texas now. Oh, very yes. nice. Oh, Chad is out of Texas. He's back in Alabama. I know. Oh, wow. I miss Texas. <laughs> I miss Texas a lot of times. I miss the food particularly, you know? I, I really, really failed to appreciate how good I had it when it came to uh, tacos. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about no, Mexican just... food earlier. Yeah, there's much better Mexican food in uh, in Texas than up here. Yeah. Yes. There, there's a place. There's a place here called Mom Mama's Tacos, and you know it's a, it's a, it started in college towns in Alabama, and they love it. You know, it, it's just it's just like they just think it's the greatest thing in the world. But these are these are the the most bland, boring tacos. I mean, it it tastes like somebody, you know, cooked hamburger meat on the stove, and uh, you know, maybe put a threw it in a paper bag of taco seasoning in it. It's just oh. bad. Oh my, yuck! But I, I, and I the tortilla say, shells, yeah. you know, just the tortillas, just nowhere near, nowhere near as good. So the worst Mexican I ever had was in Texas, in Texarkana. I think it was on the Texas side of Texarkana on the Arkansas border. So I know there's, there's a, bad places everywhere. Was it a truck stop? Where, it was, I don't know this? what it was. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Hey, maybe, BQ. Maybe. Good to see you. So, Chad, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on Russell Brand. Does everyone know what I, happened with Russell Brand? Yeah. I, do, I, I, I do. I, I, you know, he obviously got too close to someone that didn't want him to say things. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I have no doubt that the guy is a reformed alcoholic, you know, he had drug issues. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's done things in the past that he's embarrassed of, but I, I can't help but feel that what we saw was a, was a coordinated attack against him it it all happened at at a really strange speed i mean we just woke up one morning and it was absolutely everywhere as you know as, as if phone calls had been made and press releases were spread and people had agreed to cover to different angles and no somebody went to the principal and told on him <laughs> yeah. denise you want to come say hi denise come here this is my wife denise Ooh. Harry Michelle, she hasn't been on. Hi, Remember, Harry? hi, Harry. Hi, hi Denise. Texas. Hold on. Let, let, let me... Oh, yeah, I can't hear you. Now you can hear. Hi, yeah. Denise. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. My sister Carrie's visiting here from Texas. <laughs> oh, is she still in Austin? Yeah, she's still in Austin. Tomorrow's mom's birthday, her 75th, so she came up for the weekend. Oh, nice. That'll be fun. Yeah. How's everybody else doing? Doing Good. great. Pops. Good. Good to see everybody. Really, en really enjoyed, enjoyed your trip, your trip, Denise. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. I know. Yeah, my audio and my pictures. The... We're a good team, right? Well, all yeah. the details, it was it was really great. Like you guys did such a good good job of describing stuff. Yeah. And and just hearing those moments like that cable card. Jeez. Yeah. 
That yeah, must have that just been Frank. I know. Frank acting like he didn't know that the, there was supposed to be a bomb. I know. Yeah. The people going yeah, the across from in. us looking at us, and I'm pointing at Frank, like shaking my head, like, yeah, he he wasn't protecting me. Thought I was going to die. But yeah. No, we had That's a fabulous a, trip. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it was, cool. it was really fascinating to hear. A really cool. good recording. All right. Enjoy the rest of the show. It's, nice it's to see you, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured it out. I'm four and a half hours from Austin. Oh, really? It's uh, yeah. southwest oh, of me. That's pretty far. Yeah. 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 I'm very much East oh. Texas. Um, actually, I'm sure you guys have heard of Tyler and Longview. Right. Oh, I know Tyler. Yeah. I'm about an hour from there, south of there. Oh, I had to go to Tyler to uh, to attend divorce court for an employee. That, oh that the company I work for had. Yeah, you know, at the time I was working for McWayne Technology and McWayne owns the Tyler Pipe Company, Tyler Union, perhaps. I don't know what it's called. It's, it's a big, but anyway, it was the strangest thing. It was because I was associated with HR in name only for the company. I, I mean, I really was not a good HR person or an HR person, you know, <laughs> but, okay. I, but I, by name I was, cause somebody had to be, uh, you know, for legal reasons. And uh, so anyway, because of that, and this was an employee and there were uh, ex payroll documents in question and bonuses is like, geez, I had to go. And uh, because the court wow. system moves slow, I, I spent three days in Tyler, Texas in court. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did you win? That was quite the experience. (laughs) Yeah, I I won because, you know, to me, it was just an opportunity to play my uh, video games in a hotel and, uh, (laughs) you know, eat eat bad junk food on the road. So, yeah, it was a win for me. uh, The guy, you know, he had to pay more money to his his ex-wife, which, you know. They had kids, kids, so it was something to feel good about. It was just yeah. like, well, yeah, good, you know, give them some of that money. <laughs> good. Got to take care of the kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yep. Let's see, what else is going on in the world? <laughs> oh, man. oh, yeah, the Ooh. Ukraine thing. What do y'all think about Frank's that? Frank's talking, but we're not hearing him. Oh, okay. Hey, Dave. Hey, Chad. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. You hear me now? Oh, oh yeah. I hear you now. Yes. Uh, yes, because this this uh, cheap computer doesn't have a backlit keyboard, so I'm struggling to do the volume and stuff. I turned uh, off the microphone. Uh, but yeah, the Russell Brand thing I thought was really interesting on a number of different levels. Um, you know, I I feel like I was suspicious of him as being controlled opposition. I hate using that term uh, for a long time because he just comes across as being really phony with the big 33 tattoo on his arm, which is a big Masonic or quote unquote yeah. Illuminati type of thing. But also hmm. the, just the fact that he seems to be hammering on these issues, which is only really hammering on uh, vaccines and, and Ukraine. That's like his main stop, which feels like the things that they need a controlled opposition for to shape the way people think of like, wait, there's something wrong with this Ukraine thing. How should I think about it? And so mm-hmm. you, you, a Russell brand will 
guide people's thoughts. Oh, here's the opposite view of why Ukraine war is a bad thing, you know, and also with the vaccines and stuff, he's, you know, endlessly just focusing on those couple different topics. Um, so I really thought of that. And so I really thought that what happened was really interesting because it seems to, you know, this coordinated sort of clearly almost a cartoonish coordinated effort to destroy him, uh, allegations of uh, sexual abuse and things. Um, and he's, it looks like he got too close to the truth and they're trying to shut him down. But that sort of reinforces that the stuff he was saying was like actually true as opposed to just sort of a, a counter narrative that was concocted. So it kind of that point of view that he's been uh, espousing, it gets that much more, uh, makes it seem that much more legitimate in people's minds. And then also people get this subtle or not so subtle thing that you better toe the line or else they'll do to you what they did to Russell Brand. Oh yeah, they'll get you. And then I saw, yeah. I watched when he came back this past Monday on Rumble, which I never mm -hmm. use Rumble, but apparently it's like a YouTube with slightly less censorship. And he just, again, he didn't even really mention too much stuff. He just, again, started hammering on those same issues, which really made me suspicious about the whole thing. Um, He's always well, been I, like a cartoon character to me. I mean, yeah. I stopped yeah. watching when he, he called it his, the trues and he just, oh, yeah, there was something very off-putting about his delivery from yeah. way back for me. But I do think that something like a Russell Brand will again, if he is the word controlled opposition, can really um, neutralize a huge number of people who might otherwise uh, be real dissenters on certain issues. If you can guide the way that they approach the opposing something, you can neutralize their effectiveness. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought, and then of course, the surreal news story about the British government contacting this internet website, Rumble, and asking them to censor him. That was the one thing that seemed to go really over over the edge. Yeah. 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 How about uh, Canada getting so confused that that's that's they got so confused that anything bad for Russia must be something worth clapping. So they they found yes. some old guy that apparently There's... fought against Russia and they forgot that Russia was on our side in World War II and yeah. Not only that, but Russia did about 80% of the work uh, defeating Germany. We we would all be speaking German if it were not for the Russians. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah, and now we've given them a huge propaganda win, and there's nothing to be done about it. It's just – it's a big mess here. And Canada's, it, it, Canada, oh. like, Canada had such a great, like, public image for so, for such a long time, and now recently it's just one thing after another it's, with Canada. What's yeah, going on up there, Michael? But, it's it's a, a line of, of just bad crap that's happening one thing after another and it's 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 really stupid. Like I just you know, I, I guess it, it feels like it goes way back in the pandemic for me. Like all the stupid conspiracy theories and like I feel like we should have learned better lessons and we should be pulling together, but for some stupid reason we're not. And you have issues that should never be politicized. To the degree that they are, you know, turn into these just idiotic things like, you know, with the vaccines, you know, I, I can only imagine, I, I think if I were a doctor or someone in, in, in the health system here, 
I'd, you know, I'd be ready to flip the script and go psychotic and start killing people at this point. Like, it's just like they put so much effort into trying to keep everyone safe and took so much crap for it. It just amazes me that we haven't seen more of that. You know, it's just, it's unreal. The amount of just politicians, leaders should know better than to stoke the kind of stupidity that has gone way more mainstream than it ever should have. Like, it just, you know, as someone who... I think has, uh, they really stoked it when they froze the bank accounts of all those truck drivers. Well, I, that I don't was, know if there was any yeah. recovery after that, you know, because if you're a, if you're a was, citizen and you realize that if the government disagrees with your personal rights, they can just take your money. That's well, pretty that, horrifying. And they're well, doing away with they're trying to do away with cash now, totally. Same yeah. Yeah, that's I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon, but I haven't used after much after Canada spent all that after Canada like spent all that time making their money plastic as opposed to paper. That was such a technological advancement. Now they're gonna get rid of it after they figured out how to make plastic money. Come on. I'm, that's pretty I impressive. Really, I doubt I one thing go. here. I never want Michael to be my doctor. <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going to Michael Fair, MD. I, I was just <laughs> but now, but now, what happened with India? There's some sort of diplomatic kerfuffle with India and oh, uh, geez. and yeah. Canada. What exactly is going on there? Because I I saw there was some assassination, yeah. and then yeah, so what, was, what's going it, on with that? How could you apparently? Like, yeah, we, apparently we have intelligence that we haven't divulged exactly what it is yet, which is part of the problem. That a a figure, I guess it's part of this Khalistan movement in India, uh, which is a, a movement, I, I guess, of the Sikhs, uh, a, a minority of Sikhs that want this independent land called Khalistan uh, to be, I guess, given to them as part, uh, as sort of separate from India. Yeah. So uh, kind of that kind of thing. And they, I guess, a supporter of this movement was killed uh, I think it was earlier, like in June or something of this year. Uh, and it, it, I guess the intelligence is that it was the Indian government was involved in this killing. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what the, our prime minister stood up and basically divulged. And now it's because it's come from so high up, it's a real mess. I mean, you can't walk that back. Uh, and now we have to deal with the fallout from that. So either in India is is uh, you know probably similar to you know, the rest of your country. Like it's it's connected. Like it's a big economic partner for us. And it, I guess strategically in the West, it's 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 kind of you know if if we're turning against China slowly but surely, uh, India is we don't want to lose both uh, connections to both right e economic ties and everything. So. It's we as Canada, we kind of have to tread carefully uh, when we raise these things. Uh, it it looks like things are kind of calmed down. Like it it doesn't look like it's going to escalate further. But the, there was a lot of fear that it might, like not war or anything like that, but like trade nastiness. Yeah. Right? You you do this, we'll take away that kind of stuff. So it you know it, it was uh, just one of these, and we've had a number of these messes in close proximity to each other time-wise and it's just like it, it's leading to 
a lot of unsettled uh, unsettled thinking and and just you know, nothing seems to be quite going right for us we need some sort of win politically some sort of thing to, to get us what's out going of this on with canada yeah, we just got a new a new arrival here it is the meanderer is here on the exit ramp for the first time ever oh, wow Hello. hey everybody hi. hi this is the is this the first time i met we're actually face to face theoretically on a video call talking to each other in real time that is correct meanderer nice Hello. to meet you wow very nice. Harry, Michelle, and the Meanderer on the exit ramp. You don't, you can't imagine. And, and earlier we had Ruben. You can't wow. imagine how happy I am. So, what's going on, uh, Meanderer? Can, can we use the name we're seeing on the screen or you prefer Meanderer? Nope, my real name is fine. Brendan. Yes. So, we're seeing you. So, like, I've only seen glimpses of you in the past. Uh, you've, you like, like, uh, very few times. And I actually see you. This is, this yes, is actually I am in incredible. Fully emerging out of anonymity. <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, uh, the Meanderer or Brendan has been on the Overnight Escape Underground since 2009 and was, I believe, right, the, uh, the second host to do a show on the channel after Eddie did his, uh, his trampler sampler in uh, Manila. Uh, Brendan Rambles, I think was the first show. It was October-ish uh, 2009, and he's continued to do it ever since. And uh, wow. So how's it going? Where background so now, uh, can you divulge like what part of the world you're in, or would you prefer not to? Uh... No, that's fine. I am in West Virginia. Ah, nice. It's pretty up there. Yes. Yep, leaves turning. It's great. Oh, man. <laughs> man, yeah, the leaf will turn here. sometime soon here in New Mexico. That one leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Well, uh, we had trees lining Broadway or Main Street, but they were interfering with the water line, so they took them all out this year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I miss our tree. I bet. That's some town like out there, truth or consequences. Oh, yeah. it gets weirder and weirder. <laughs> <laughs> well, as new people come in, I'm going to have to head out. I have another call to do at seven so um which is i guess eight eastern time <laughs> yes carrie thanks so much for patching in i hope to see you some more and maybe the carrie michelle show come back eventually maybe. yeah yes. i need to get divorced first so that i can oh that's right you, 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 meant, you, oh. Meant, you, you mentioned that is that oh. is that uh i guess it's gonna take a while huh yeah, it's going to take a little while because it's it's all contested. There were some safety issues, as and that's why I left. <laughs> wow, I'm sorry to wow. hear it. I had a, a pretty oh, uncomplicated good. divorce, and it was still annoying to go through. So you have my sympathies. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a little complicated, but I am safe, and that's what matters. Absolutely. <laughs> But it was really good to see everyone. And yeah, maybe in the future, the Carrie Michelle show will come back. And please, please do. It would be fun. <laughs> it was great to see everyone. All right. Thanks for patching in. There's Carrie Michelle. Yeah, thank you Legendary so much. Legendary host. <laughs> That's sweet. Thank Texas. you. <laughs> what? So, Brendan, how are things these days in West Virginia? Not loud. A lot of construction going on, so it's loud everywhere. Yeah, we've had a summer of that here, uh, just around the building and in the building, but not nothing on our floor. 
but uh, yeah, it's it's that's one of the downsides of, of apartment living. Of course, if everything you do is audio, both my wife and I are blind, so everything we do, we have to hear what we're doing. So yeah, it does crazy. create complications. I didn't Worst know you was, were blind. Yep. Yep. I guess I, I missed I, that. Did you ever no. mention it? Oh yeah, huh. uh, I I don't make any secret of it. Uh, <laughs> well, I've uh, been blind all my life, never seen anything. So okay. yeah. What yeah. do you um, imagine different colors? Do, do you have any uh, not senses really. about them? No, like I, it's never connected with anything with me. Any any kind of thing people have tried mm -hmm. kind of breaks down, right? Like you know, people say, well, red is hot. Well, yeah, but there are cool drinks that I've heard are red. So that doesn't quite, right. like nothing really holds up. So colors to me is they're just, they're, I realize they're different lengths of light. I understand the scientific things, you know, in a rough sense, right. but right. I don't have any kind of sense. Like I, I have no idea what this, the clothing I'm wearing, like in terms of color, I don't know what it is. I, I trust the marketers have sort of done their job and I'm looking presentable. But that's about as far as I can go. <laughs> like I, I don't have any sense of fashion, really. Me neither. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> and I work at a fashion company. It's very sad. Yeah, well, Sarah does. She's my wife. That's yeah. that's who you just heard there. She's also totally blind. And uh, and the guy dog we have is a lad, but he's he can see, but he doesn't really tell us a lot uh, <laughs> about, about things. <laughs> oh wow. Have you um? Have you ever been able to do that uh, that thing where you make noises and you can kind of feel the room? Oh, echolocation? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, there are different ways of approaching that. I tend to use the taps of my cane. Uh, mm -hmm. It just seems a bit more natural than clicking. I know some people click and they, they can modulate that so they get pretty precise readings on, on stuff. I can't, I'm not that good, especially now with hearing loss. I have two hearing aids in. So... Ah. <laughs> It uh, that that uh, sort of wrecks uh, echolocation to a, a, a rather larger degree than I hoped. Um, I uh, I understand that I, I have hearing aids and and I have um, much more hearing loss in one ear than the other. So the the oh, ability wow. to That's, the yeah the ability to yeah. know where sounds are coming from <laughs> is a comedy of errors. And uh, I had to you go. Know, have, yeah, am, my, my wife will I, call and I'll walk into the wrong room. I'll be like, "Yeah, <laughs> you were where are on you?" The other side of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, that that's that can be really, especially when you're you're navigating. Like, I don't go to new places on my own anymore, really, because it's just it's not very safe. <laughs> you know, like it. Uh, you know, I have uh, geospatial difficulties anyway. So, uh, and now the hearing loss is adding to that. So it's yeah. Uh, not going to be crossing streets anytime by myself soon. Uh, it's just a oh. little too dangerous now. <laughs> sure. Gosh, but, yeah. So, not to mention but, people not paying attention to traffic signs. Yes, and and, and now you got these quieter cars that I even in, with good hearing I might not be able to hear until they're very very close. Uh, yeah, things are getting a bit more more dangerous if you're navigating by sound. That's right. Those electric cars don't make any sense. That must spook you a little. Yeah. Well, with the, I mean, when the transition is complete and everything's quieter, then it'll be great, right? It'll actually help. But we're in the, we're in this sort of dangerous period now where the majority is still combustion, and right. yeah, it, it, it will 
the noise of those engines will bury one of these electric cars easily. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff like that 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 people don't think about. Uh, you know, winter is another one of these things. You know, the snow muffles sound and robs you of the ability to hear echoes off of things. So that can cause difficulties. Yeah, a lot of things like that. Rain, uh, after a rainstorm, it makes everything sound closer. The air is that crisp and clear, and it just makes everything sound, probably because of the, the water content, I suppose, in the air, uh, just right. closer. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of things like wow. that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like I, I use echolocation. I'll hear the taps reverberate off walls and get some idea at least of of where I am. And, and as long as I'm familiar with it, it's pretty good. It, it's trickier when only one hearing aid's working. I, I went through a few months during the pandemic in that situation. And that wow. was, that was very hairy. <laughs> I don't want to go through that again, if I can help it. Um, yeah, uh, that, that even if you get a little, little farther away, too far away from the building, like I would take out the recycling and I, you know, if I'm far enough away that I can't hear where the walls are, I might not head back towards the door. So oh, yeah, I had to be just extra careful to really concentrate right. and keep track of where I was. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It seems like there should be some electronic devices oh, that, that could help. Can, yeah, like you could do – I have an AirTag here, and uh, mm -hmm. if, I, if I had thought of it at the time, I could have brought you know, my pack out, let, you know, left it at, uh, at the door, and you know, done – you know, use my iPhone to locate it. If you know, but I I didn't have it at the time. I wouldn't have, uh, you know. I guess I would have used it if I had it. But you know, and there's things I can. I have GPS apps. I could I could certainly found my way back to uh, you know the apartment. Uh, it would have might it would have just taken longer. But you know, I I could have you know eventually gotten myself back to a door. Uh, you know, to, but it it wouldn't have been. Whoops. Uh, I see. We got messages in the in the group chat. Yeah, my my uh, iPhone's announcing that. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, we have Jefferson in uh, the Philadelphia area. We see his hair and an American flag. Ah. Nate in Wisconsin is here, and also Simon. Simon, are you here? In Silicon hey guys, Valley. all my video set up soon. Yep. Okay. We can hear you. Yeah. Every time I think of Simon, I think of that cartoon it was a british cartoon they had on tv ontario where this guy simon could draw things and everything he drew oh, came true yes over the garden wall with you you know my is name is simon come? and the things i they draw, draw come, come true yeah yeah that was I'll a take great you cartoon over over the garden pinwheel there was it was pinwheel had some is that of the part of pinwheel cartoons I, that's where I, where I remember seeing it i remember I it from it. captain kangaroo Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The captain uh, would have. Uh... I remember Tom Terrific from Captain Kangaroo, <laughs> and Mighty Manfred the Wonder Dog. Why am oh, I not? Wow. Why, why am I, not I, I don't know any of these things you guys are talking. Like it's weird <laughs> because I thought this is like exactly. This is more Mandela effect stuff. Please. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. wow. Well, some of this I know some of it probably didn't get stateside very much. Like there was a. I recently on Kelly and Rami, I reviewed a drama. Uh, it was a, oh, 
It was about a school where the kids, it was haunting in the school. Dark season, that was what it was called. It was only like on for like a season or maybe, I, I think they might've gotten two seasons. And uh, they had, it was Kate's, Kate Winslet's very first acting job, apparently, was this this TV show. And it was on TV Ontario. And I, I have this memory of the theme song. It, they used it in the audio drama. They had a reunion audio drama where they had... The cast members, yeah, that's where I heard it. TV Ontario, yeah, and it was after it was right around Doctor Who, uh, in that in that time slot, kind of in the evening. Yeah, it was. It, there's these kids, and they were this school with uh, this Mister Eldritch character and a bunch of sort of evil supernatural mixed with tech, and yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild. It was a, a weird thing, and. Uh, but I never caught the episodes on TV Ontario, but then I got to hear the audio drama. It was like, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. And, and Kate Winslet was so generous with her time. It was amazing, you know, to hear all these people reminisce about this. It was, and then yeah. whatever, whatever happened to Kate Winslet? I haven't heard much about her recently. She's kind of, well, she's not, not dead. Uh, no. I know that for a fact. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, she, um, what was the last thing she was in? I can't remember now. She might've mentioned, because uh, she had she had a long interview uh, with it, with all the cast and crew after the audio drama. That's one of the great things about Big Finish. They have they put on those extras. But yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if she'll be on uh, Dancing with the Stars along with Greg Brady. Uh, <laughs> and there was a show on Nickelodeon called The Tomorrow People. Yes, that one I know because I actually yeah. been, I've been watching it. I went oh, back. To, I went back to the very first episode. I used to watch it when it was on uh, Nickelodeon at around eighty four, eighty five. I that's think a I saw show. that on. That's that was on YTV. Finally, one that, yes. it's about these uh, <laughs> these young young adults who have psychic powers and, and yeah. all the adventures they go on. But I remember that left a big impression on me. And uh, yeah, that also I think Big Finish has some Tomorrow People stuff, right? If I'm not mistaken, Big Finish is an audio drama company. They do Doctor Who and other things. Sapphire oh, and Steel. Of, and did you know? Did you know? As much <laughs> as we talk about Sapphire and Steel on the exit ramp. And I wore my <laughs> Sapphire and Steel T-shirt, and it was on my show art uh, from last week's show, Frank Nora 3000. That guy just died, David McCallum, who, who played yep. Steel. Also oh, played that Ilya, was him? Ilya Kuryagin on uh, right. Man, uh, from Uncle. Man From Uncle. He just right. died at age 90, right? And I just had his T-shirt on. It's weird. Wow. And he was I in did... that Outer Limits episode. He had the big brain. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw someone post that, yeah. Hmm. That's Sapphire and Steel, though. What a great show. Yeah, I, I always knew that big brain guy looked really familiar, but yeah. I never could place who it was until this guy died and, and seeing his that as part of his pictures, you know? Well, I, I realize I need to see Man from Uncle because it was never in reruns when I was growing up, ever. And it was off the air by the time I was watching TV as a little kid, so... Like, I, what, yeah, I was like, real little happened, when yeah, it was on. It like never, never was reran. Like, what happened with Man from Uncle? It was well, huge. Spy for shows, except for the satire, Get Smart was the only one that really survived in reruns. Yeah, there were a bunch of spy shows at that time, and it was kind of over the top, like Batman, a little campy. Yeah. And... yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we might have gotten more of them here in Canada. And then, of course, now Big Finish is, is getting the licenses to do audio dramas of all these. Like they did, uh, oh, the, the guy with the gun. Oh, that's going to bug me now. Um, uh, Man with no. the golden gun? No, this was, um, oh, Callan. Callan, that was it. 
Yeah. Oh, David McGowan. Yeah. And the prisoner. He, the prisoner. They, they did a wonderful thing with the prisoner. That was awesome. The three three part uh, drama that was that was just epically good with Mark Alstab as as the prisoner. Um, wow. Yeah. Was it a year or two ago? I watched all of the prisoner, and it, yeah, it's really worth watching if you haven't seen it. Blew my mind. Oh, what that a strange old, show! That last episode with the Beatles music and stuff. Yep. The I Beatles, never heard the TV show, but but yeah, the radio dramas are. The, the are Beatles. Something the else. Beatles gave them a special license that the song could be used in perpetuity in any medium. So oh, nice. most Beatles songs that are in TV shows have to be edited out. But this <laughs> one, all you need is love. They can they can use wow. it. They have a unique unique relationship with the Beatles. <laughs> and then George Harrison's son. Danny Harrison made a band called the New Number Two, which was a reference to the prisoner. Uh, the prisoner. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of these Beatles kids, they just didn't inherit the talent, but they they have the name, so they're trying. They're trying. They're trying. That's all. <laughs> Listen, you got to try to be a musician if you're a Beatles spawn. You know. No. What else? What else can you do? Yeah, it's. Uh, I just kind of sit home with the uh, the royalties coming in, and yeah, I don't know. Eat well. <laughs> Eat well, yeah. I think yeah, writers have it have it tough. Sons of writers, uh, Joe Hill, for example, was Stephen King's son, and I can only imagine like he he actually tried to distance himself, perfect like uh, professionally, like didn't didn't let people know that it that he was Stephen King's son for a while, just so he could sort of carve out his own space, hmm. kind of. Now, of course, they're best of buddies, and he's well, he's done some really awesome stuff. Uh, his short stories are great. I've, got, I've still got lots of his novels to read, but boy, can he pump out a good short story? Oh, that's a talent. <laughs> Aladdin. <laughs> it's, a, it's Aladdin getting a bit uh, wakeful. So Jefferson, can you can you hear us? I, I, wh- he's walking around again. Where, where are Jefferson? Where are you? Can you hear us? Sometimes he can't hear us. We oh. just see Jefferson walking around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the wet streets of somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, where are you at, Jefferson? He can't yeah, hear. He, I, I guess. I guess he's, yeah. <laughs> he just likes to. Well, does he live in Chicago? Is that what it is? Well, no. He's he lives, uh, you know, in a suburb uh, outside of uh, Philadelphia. So oh, this okay. could be this could be Philly right here. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There's a yeah. police car. We can see the name of the. What is the name of uh, the area? Yeah. Uh, can you read that? Anyone read that? No. <laughs> no. no. Uh-uh. So, camera's moving around. The fuzz. The fuzz. Yeah. Yeah, they don't call them the fuzz anymore. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, some slang just doesn't persist. Yeah. yeah. We'll, it'll we'll it'll be- come back, but what will the fuzz be next time? You know, it'll be this, uh, these nanobot swarms that will come surround you and calm your mind and, and get you to stop acting rowdy. That's what Little, they'll call the fuzz. Yeah, and it'll be yeah. literally true at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fuzz has got me, man. They're going to send the fuzz. When I was hanging out with those juvenile delinquents in 80, what was it, 86, no, 87, for the evil farm, they would just call them Starsky was the ultimate Yo, is Starsky coming? Starsky. Yeah. I guess wow, Starsky and Hutch was probably not on the air still in 87, but that was like, yes. That was their... I heard a lot of 5-0. You know, 5-0 cent- cent- Central Jersey slang, Starsky. 
That sounds very Jersey-ish. Yes, yes. Uh, live shaped by primetime TV. Does that happen anymore? <laughs> there is. Is there any more? I don't think there's any more primetime TV. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah not the, really. We watch it streaming on Netflix or nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's not the central pull it, it it used to be at all. Like I I remember when the the Chilean miners were getting rescued. Uh, you know, and I I remember that was the first time in years that I felt I was listening to the same events mm. unfold that other people around the world were hearing at the same time. Like yeah. it, it had that that aspect of wow, you know, the people on Twitter that I'm communicating with are hearing this happen at the very same time I am. It was like wow just felt so strange in a way to be connected you know in that way that that i hadn't thought of it you know since you know everybody used to watch ed sullivan's sunday night ain't everybody right Mm. (laughs) i don't remember it but yeah i think by the time as i was as i was born in 67 my earliest memories of tv might be from around 70 that i've retained uh, though I do have a, a picture of me and my brother sitting in front of a big color TV set watching um, Sesame Street, probably around 69. No, 70. It would have been 70 or 71. But yeah. I started watching Sesame Street when it first came out in 69. So, Yeah, TV yeah. when I was a little kid just left such an impression on my brain shows that were on when I was like five or six, I'm finding out as they turn back up on YouTube one by one and you see clips. And there was a guy called Chuck McCann who had a kid's show. And he was later in films and stuff, but people who grew up in the New York area all have this fond memory. And like all the WNEW stuff, it Wait, was he in far, Was he in Far Out Space Nuts with uh, yes, Bob Denver? Yes, that's the guy, okay. I he had a, every out. afternoon this that's... great show with puppets and it was one of those shows where the host just improved and showed cartoons. And yeah, it all wound up in uh, Harbor in New York. One oh, no. That, oh. Uh, what, was it? what was the name of that broadcasting company where they dumped Metro their Media, what became Fox eventually. Yeah. They, and they, was they, Dumont. Dumont. Dumont Network. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Jeez, that, that was terrible. We have, we have to go back in time and hijack that barge. And slip slip the barge guys a few dollars and take the barge back to the future and transfer all that stuff. Wow, or why yeah. even do that? Just we'll go back in time to the dawn of television, bury <laughs> a, a super advanced system with an antenna that no one can see, record 24 yes. hours uh, a day for 100 years, then go to the future and retrieve it, and you'll have a hard drive with every TV show ever on it. Yeah, that's yeah. my that's my plan. Sounds like a plan. It's, I like that. But if 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 time travel's real, it means I already did it. So in which case, where is We're it? just waiting for the results. Yeah. Where is that? Where is right. that hard drive? Where yeah. is that? Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the next thing up from megabyte? Or we send out a space terabyte drive that yeah. goes yeah. fast enough Exabyte. to catch the signals <laughs> yes. that are emitting out into, you know, <laughs> maybe they're out by Alpha Centauri by now or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Some way we have to get it back. I have to get it back. Like we have time to watch it, even if we did. Well, oh, then you go to the future, you get an immortality pill, so you can watch it. You can spend a couple hundred years watching it all. You know, even the half hour. Really make a difference, though. I mean, does it matter? I don't know. Yeah, the half hour clip that I saw of Chuck McCann after all these years, 
after about 15 minutes, it was, oh, so that was that. Okay, I've seen enough. The idea of watching <laughs> yeah. hours and hours of it, I, you had to be there, I think. Yeah, but I mean, you could, there could be a technology to put yourself in that mindset. Ooh. Again, temporarily, you're a kid in 1960, whatever. With your Bosco and your yeah, Bono, yeah. Turkish taffy. So, like, you yeah. can change your surface mind to what, whatever would be the most, uh, the greatest experience for that particular form of media. And it might be more compelling than people think. Like, I think of the, one of the last things I reviewed uh, for Kelly and Ramia uh, you know, this summer, to end off my summer of fun, actually, I uh, did a lot of, and thanks to you, Frank, for the, the Edict Zero. That was a wonderful oh, yeah. way to, to open that, by the way. Uh, the uh, the, the BBC, uh, BBC just released uh, Sherlock Holmes, the complete canon, uh, dramatized by Burt Crowles. And uh, they had uh, uh, Clive Marison and Michael Williams as Holmes and Watson for the whole canon of, of 56 short stories and four novels. And it was it was just a an amazing it took like eight years to produce and it was just amazing to hear that and you don't really have to be at, you know from that time like it was Sherlock Holmes stories are just universally there right like they pull you in anyway so you know these shows I mean you know for the right audience and it might just pull them along in, anyhow like yeah kind of a similar what's the thing. name of of that that sounds like really uh really good yeah. audio yeah, it's it's a historic thing. It's Sherlock Holmes, the complete BBC collection. It's on Audible, and I have um, I have it on CDs actually, on like sixty four CDs. It's a it's big cardboard cube I have in my apartment here, and I and that cost me like two hundred and fifty some odd dollars to get. Now I have the same thing on my phone. It takes up about one point five gigs, and <laughs> it's it's so much easier to get around in that navigate yeah. that you know but well, amazing of the set like that must be really tough to navigate for you or are oh, they labeled somehow labeling was a nightmare i think yeah. cut and do braille little braille label tags for each thing and make try to make sure i had the right oh it was just it was annoying to try and do so i'm so thankful for the, this collection now that i have uh it's just it's so much easier to get around like jefferson you know? jefferson he's in wawa by the way right now Oh, nice. Any birch beer? That's my favorite thing about Pennsylvania. You go to a store, there's birch beer. Can you see if there's any birch beer there and get me some? Is that like root beer or is that like alcohol yeah, beer? Yeah, it's similar. It's it's like in the same universe as root beer, but it's much better. But you okay. can find it. Birch it may be beer. just psychological, but no, birch beer is big, but it's in, in Pennsylvania only, really. Oh. So more reddish brown than root beer. Root yeah. beer is kind of a brown and birch beer is kind of reddish brown. Yeah. More eye appeal. See, I don't know where you are, Jefferson. If you're like when you get a little further out in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of birch beer. But I guess can you hear us, Jefferson? Can you nod up and down? He's not talking, or he, he doesn't realize that he, he's muted. No, but he typed something. He typed that there's pizza. Yeah. They, but birch beer. We need birch beer. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Send yeah, a case I want some. Uh, I want a root beer collection right now. Like I want a yeah. six pack of different root beers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that would be awesome. I've never heard of anyone doing that. It, it must there's, exist, uh, you'd think. There's these soda stores where you can just get a uh, a six-pack holder, these paper cardboard six-pack holders, and, and you just pick six beverages you want. You know, you can do your right. own 
What did he just oh. get? He got something. Huh. You know, like in a tourist area, uh, Michael, where there's like a, a store that sells nothing but every soda you've ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. Like there wow. was one Old in candy. I, I, there was one in Chattanooga when I went there. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, they have them all over. Like in a lot of places, they have them. Not in Italy, though. I was in Italy. They they have no root beer in Italy or any of Europe, apparently. They're just oh, very wow. anti-root beer in, in, Italy, in Europe. Not not even in that West Wild West themed place you were in. I was I, I I yes. There, there's a there's a chain of uh, mall restaurants called like 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 Old West, mm-hmm. and uh, I would imagine if they would have a drink, they would have sarsaparilla, which is in the same universe again as uh, birch beer and yeah, root beer. That but I've I, had. <laughs> I didn't see if they had sarsaparilla. I actually got some really good sarsaparilla mm-hmm. at um at Bucky's. In, um, I want to show you my fan I installed. Yeah. I think I Ooh. talked about installing this fan. Yeah, you did. Look at that. It's on the. It's up on the wall. It's like going back and forth. And yeah, it it just does its thing, man. It feels very 20th century too. So yeah. So you a, have a you have a fan that's that's a moving around the room. Yeah. Oscillating. Oscillating. I guess. Oh, look. There's the. Fountain of Love. Coca-Cola uh, 3000. What? What the heck oh. is that? That's very... I just had episode 3000. What, what is why is that 3000? Dragon Ball Z reference? I think it no. is, actually. It's not birch beer. That's what it's not. But wait. <laughs> I thought... I Yeah. Why 3000 flavored Coke? This is getting very dreamlike. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. All the all these Brendan's here and we have yeah, Carrie. Me- and Meander- Meanderer. This. Are you still there? Meanderer. <laughs> Are you still there? What happened? To I, I'm kind of still here, but I'm going to drop out soon. All right. So do they have birch beer in your neck of the woods or not? I don't recall ever hearing of birch beer, and I grew up without root beer, so I'm not really... Oh, that's right. You grew up wow. in uh, overseas, right? Uh... Yep. Ireland. In Ireland? Ireland? Ireland, yes. And no root beer in Ireland either. Hmm. Correct. I've never been to Ireland. I should go there soon. You should. Yeah, and record it. That'd be fascinating. I have Irish ancestry, so that'd be neat yeah, to Yeah, Neil's <laughs> coming back, speaking of Ireland. I know. That's, that's exciting stuff. He's a funny guy. Oh, yeah. I really can't wait to see what he's going to, uh, what, what his show will be like. Yeah, a so regular Brendan, show. So Brendan, what's, like, what's the latest thing now? Like, what's your latest like thing that you're into these days, Brendan? I'm watching Suits. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. I haven't seen that. Is it good? It's good. What is Suits? What is it about? It is a law firm, and they hire a guy without a law degree, and that's the main storyline for a lot of it. Huh. But it's the show that Meghan Markle got famous on, too. Oh, okay, yes. And she's now the princess of some sort? Or, uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Prince Harry married Meghan. Was her name Meghan Mark? Markle? Meghan Markle, yeah. yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now now that's why I've seen references to suits because of that. Yeah, which makes me think of the Farkle family from the old Laughing Show. <laughs> I've been meaning to go back and watch Laughing because I was watching the first few episodes and it was a lot different than I had sort of imagined or remembered. Um, oh, that was such a at the time it was just such the thing. Yeah, I, I guess I was the right age for it. That was like that late 60s and it jumped it took everything out of the box and all that fast (laughs) editing that was one of the first shows that did that right yeah (laughs) i prefer the smothers brothers actually hee-haw is a remnant of that kind of although i guess they don't have hee-haw anymore either but it lasted (laughs) a lot i don't know i have a feeling it lasted quite a while 
Yeah. I guess for me, different strokes uh, for a while. I watched that. Uh, you can't do that on television. Uh, oh, I used to watch that. Yes, was, yep. I was very picky with comedy. I was much. I more suppose, like, I guess Alanis Morissette was on that one, though. I don't really remember. Yeah. I, I remember. Uh, I remember that. Was... I remember the girl named Moose. Remember her? She was like one of the. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the executioner and yeah, Bart's Burgers and yeah. Was... Bart's Burgers. Yeah, that was. What was, like, what was, was the catchphrase? Uh, I heard that. Oh, I heard that. See, yeah. I yeah, just because it was on TV at some point in the mid '80s, probably '83, '84-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I saw it. And well, definitely, it was reruns at that point. It was on a channel we had here called YTV that was for youth, and uh-huh. they had all kinds of stuff. They had like He Man and Masters of the Universe. That's that's like my favorite cartoon ever. Uh, <laughs> you know, Skeletal I, yeah, Wars. I remember that network. I I think I, I um. I worked on distributing a series from that called Degrassi, The Next Generation. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was from the CBC. Okay. I thought that was from YTV. Now, wasn't there a famous yeah. rapper that was on that? It was Drake or something was on Degrassi? Yeah, I think so. Or the yeah. original Degrassi Junior High? Yeah. I think yep. he might have been the original. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I never followed that show, but but certainly you'd hear that. And then Saved by the Bell was kind of another one. And Yeah, there are a lot of these school shows. I just don't know. Are people, are younger people going to have the same relationship with television that we had? I don't no, think so. so not. They don't not even watch all. television. No, that, yeah. The last, the last dying thing that the kids are watching is Disney Channel and those horrible sitcoms that they've been pumping out for the last 25 like, years. Like Wizards of Waverly yeah. Place, that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah. yeah. And I think that is even going away. Yeah. It's mm. sad. The age of television. I, yep. I came Coming upon the end. worst content I've I've ever seen in my life recently. Laura, you know my Laura, my wife works in uh, licensing, like TV licensing, oh. and and uh, and in this show they were looking into Lackey Box. It's I, I'm I'm sure I'm not sure if I have the name right, but it's these two kids who play Roblox, the video game. Yeah, and. And they've been doing it for like five or six years, but they've built up just hundreds of millions of views per year. You know, it's ridiculously popular. But uh, it was like anti-thinking watching it. It it was just bizarrely dumb. You know, I I just couldn't understand it at all. So uh, it it worried me. (laughs) It sent an old man shiver down my spine of... Oh boy! <laughs> All right, so this is, uh, this is not Meand- good. Me- Meandra just gave the Irish goodbye. So thank you yeah. so much for patching in, Meandra. Hopefully, we'll see you again soon here on the Exit Ramp. It was so great yep. to see the Meandra first time ever on the Exit. First time actually seeing him on yeah, video I- ever. But he's been in our in our world for a, a, such a <laughs> long time. I'm yeah, so excited. Even longer than Bob Lament remained like unseen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Bob sure Lament is still unseen though. I've met him in person, so I know. I know what he, looks appear, like. he appeared on one of these and he had his camera on, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, maybe. No, you're, you're right. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But well, yes, people... he's very secretive about yeah. his. Uh... <laughs> but it was great to see uh, Meanderer. I mean, uh, very mysterious uh, host and uh, mass amounts of content. Oh, his, boy. His, he's his, got hours and hours stuff, and hours. Uh, it's very gets very personal and delves yeah. into so many different things. I, I really Definitely. am. We're very, we're very uh, fortunate to have him on the network. 
it's definitely sort yeah. of like the uh what's the right way of saying it it's like sort of this this edge that you know i think like, like it's a, the kind of thing that if someone in the future gets really into the urban landscape underground eventually yeah. they'll go through a meanderer phase where they listen to all the meanderer stuff all the stuff yeah, yeah they're on the pathos that, edge yeah yeah that that, so. that might be me one of these days i i keep it you know you i have a hard time keeping up with all your stuff right but one of these days i will i will yeah. plunge into the underground but I just keep the stuff keeps happening, and <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, I've been uh, working on the, the next edition of the book and uh, made some breakthroughs over the weekend for the book formatting. All the boring stuff, like uh, you know, like when you're when you're laying out a book, right, and uh, you're updating things like in the middle of the book, and it pushes everything else down that's later in the book. And if I want to yeah. have pictures on uh, each page that relate to what's on the page, <laughs> that if you start adding stuff in the middle, it'll push everything down. So. Uh, I, finally, I finally figured out how to uh, make uh, the book into chapters. So each chapter is a separate file. So you can yes. keep each file under control. So I was yeah. over the weekend, I, I, I use a program called Affinity Publisher, which is a, an alternative to Adobe InDesign because I don't want to pay a monthly fee to use a program. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do oh, pay yeah. a monthly fee for mine. It's called Ulysses. It's a, a, an app that I use for the, I'm actually just starting my third edition of, of the hmm. guide. Uh, that I write for blind people using iOS devices, and oh. uh, wow, yeah. So I'm smart. Yeah, it's a good it's a good thing. You can sort of have your each chapter can be its own sheet. They call yeah, them sheets, and then that's huge. To, when that yeah. I mean, like, uh, and then you now, now I feel like like I can sort of each one each chapter is its own little thing. Yeah, that I can sort of keep control of because it's it seems like it'd be so easy to do. Hey, you talk about Bob. Yeah, I said I said the magic word, and there he is. <laughs> hey, Bob. Hey. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah how's it going, guys? This. Pretty good. Good. This has been quite a, quite a, an experience so far. We had uh, Ruben from Australia. We had Carrie Michelle coming back, and also the Meanderer was on. I know. Wow. So, and now you're on. So this is like an amazing uh, <laughs> an amazing exit ramp. Yeah. I I had a terrible time getting on Zoom. I'm actually in Springfield, Missouri tonight, out of town. So I don't know what the deal is. Hmm. Hey, you're sounding are fine. You, are you staying at a hotel? No. When I sometimes when I would travel a lot, the uh, I I feel like hotels where there's a lot of people sharing the same internet. I think yeah. they they run software that sort of kicks people off of VOIP and and movies that you're downloading. It it just seems like there's always trouble. Hmm. Yeah, I believe it. It's, well, you, you, they only have so much bandwidth, and they don't. No matter what they do, people are calling and complaining because it's like the life's blood when your internet <laughs> isn't working and you're right. in a motel room. That's like <laughs> it's true. It's probably a bigger problem than than the toilet. Oh no, that's a near death experience. You can always go out back and pee, but <laughs> <laughs> I got a balcony. I have to pee off the balcony. Oh, you should do it and film it right now. Right now. <laughs> I just went. I don't have to go now. Oh man. Okay, yeah, here's my Wi-Fi is terrible. It's just kick kick back in again. Mm. Drink some birch beer and you'll be able to pee again. 
Yeah, yeah. that's what you need. <laughs> a little birch beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob, you guys have been doing a lot of promotion this year of your shows. I, I see it a lot of places. Uh, LinkedIn, for instance. Oh, yeah. How's that? Is that working out? Or I've found LinkedIn to be a horrible place to uh, try to advertise anything, but uh, uh, some I don't people know. do That's well. A good question. I I would say uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess it's going okay. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm glad you're I doing it because, because other otherwise uh, the only thing people on LinkedIn ever say is you know, gee, our new HR program is terrific. And gosh, <laughs> I love the company's corporate, you know, guidance this year. And, uh, you know, boy, oh boy, am I a fan of this, uh, you know, this I'll, woman I'll seminar. You, I'll tell you a weird one that happened on LinkedIn. So I uh, have been posting there and um, I, I guessed it on a show uh, about AI artificial intelligence for this uh, guy in New Zealand uh -huh. and um, he was the tech person and I was like making fun of it hmm. and uh, Intel business uh, picked up on it and uh, wrote me a note Wow! and said it was funny because I was talking about how there's going to be an AI Jerry Seinfeld and AI George Carlin and then I did a little uh impersonation of each one and a couple of ai bits that i just kind of off the top of my head and uh and yeah they they thought it was cool that, then they said they wanted us to do a thing on ethics oh okay <laughs> that that came through linkedin which you know was i mean that's big doings there for me yeah it is. That, it is that's that's remarkable yeah so i'm trying You've to get been the discovered guy <laughs> have me do the ethics one with him so but he's uh he's halfway across the world so huh. yeah but the world isn't that big anymore it's except for the no. time differences oh yeah and time zone stuff is annoying no, he was but... <laughs> uh, speaking at a conference in singapore whenever i that all happened, oh, wow. I sent him a note man so it was weird but uh i mean that worked apparently i don't know yeah, that sounds pretty good. I, it'd be great if that, you know, they hire you to do a series about it. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> would be great. That would be a miracle then. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> Frank, are, are you going to let an artificial intelligence uh, work on the broken novel, Severe Repair? Oh, that would be so awesome. Just take yeah. it all, feed it to some AI and let it organize right. it. Yeah, organize it, come up with a, you could even direct it along some storylines. Yeah, well, I sort of figured like when, uh, you know, you can just feed the book in and it can start to make, you know, Hollywood movie type video. Um, oh, yeah, God. to kind of like, it would just be me and the AI sort of having conversations and going back and forth and create a whole like, you know, like, uh, you know, 12 season TV show, the streaming TV <laughs> show of severe repair. That would be yeah, awesome. I'll pick it up. That could be cool. Yeah, Netflix will take it. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I think it needs to be a long running, almost never ending, kind of like a Red Dwarf kind of series. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's, that's, I, and I, that kind of budget, too. I, I think I would rather see severe repair in, in that type of a universe. Yeah, yeah. You know, Not too high Doctor tech, Who. just that. It, yeah. Right. It, it was just, you know, like I, I wanted to have it without putting the hard work in. So I think that's sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's sort of the definition of when we did the central on losers is that's sort of the definition of a loser is to want to have something without working for it. You know, and I think yeah. that, that that's so I, I, way, I admit right? that with severe repair, I wanted to have the end result without really working that hard on it. And uh, that's why it all. Well, you did write quite think, a bit there. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah. A lot of I think, material. I think there's going to be a bit of a wait until uh, it gets that good. Like I, I did uh, on Ulysses. One of the things that, that that app offers is this expert grammar uh, editing software that's AI powered. And I, I tried that for the first time editing the second edition because I I do it all myself, right? So it's mm-hmm. you know if it could you know help catch some of the things that you know if if you hear stuff that you've written, you know after a while you just get numb to the mistakes, like it's hard to catch. So yeah. I let it loose, and and you have to be careful. It's so powerful, you have to really think about what you're agreeing to. Uh, you know whether you because the temptation is said you know apply this to all. But sometimes there are situations where it just doesn't realize that it's inappropriate and it'll it'll put mistakes in there that you didn't make. Right. And if you're not careful, you'll miss them. As it's it's a three hundred and nine thousand word book. So <laughs> it's yeah, I'm gonna have to be a lot more careful. But you know, with the third edition, you know, I'm gonna take three years to do it, probably. Uh gonna aim for iOS twenty, uh, aim for that release date. And as soon as after that iOS is released as possible, and uh, you know, hopefully keep you know things sane and and steady and st- instead of frantic and panicky at the end there, you know. <laughs> so let's see how this goes. Well, I think you know, as I keep saying, when the big AI comes, it's all of these little AIs will not compare in any way. The big AI could come yeah. at any point, and it will it's, be able to do these things. They'll like, name it Colossus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it already making decisions? Maybe that's why things have become so weird. Well, I well, mean, that's that, a, that, yeah, that's the idea that that the big AI has already arrived, and it's and, of, and it's yeah. taken over. Like there's, I've read a lot of yeah. short stories, uh, sci-fi short stories like that, where you don't know that the AI is already. Sort yeah, of taking it had charge. to uh, it had to hide itself because the existence of the AI and its capacity to do anything that took away humans' um, need to be feel that they're helpful and feel that they have something to offer so that the big AI had to dial back its the knowledge of its existence in order for people to have any any kind of happiness you know but uh, that in, this is a post AI world we're living in it's been reshaped <laughs> that's one theory no they'll yeah. just give us another 100 tv channels on cable and yeah <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some explanation for what's going on in this world because it's things have gotten very, very, very bizarre lately, and as oh, everyone has noticed, and uh, yeah, for sure, something is going on. Oh no! And yeah. the next year, just hold on to your hat. Just hold on to your oh, hat. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, lots, if you thought the last with... election season was yeah contentious and crazy, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, yeah. I, I think we'll be lucky to have a, an election, you know, that. 
Yeah. Why? Well, why wouldn't they? It's already lucky it's already, to have it's, an it's election. All, well, it's, <laughs> there's a T-shirt. <laughs> Maybe it'll all be created by AI. It's not really an election. It's just the entertainment. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I maybe. Uh, who knows? Maybe it doesn't really matter. Only, only if you thing. let it matter, I suppose. Well, I, I mean, have been mountain yeah. biking lately, which helps a lot. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's president when you're on your mountain bike. That's very but, true. And the the reason is is because you get going down a hill after you've completely exhausted yourself going up the hill. And and when you're going down the hill, you're trying not to die. So like every every second, you know, you're watching where the tire goes because you know, if you hit a root, well, you're definitely going to hit a root or a rock or something. So which way are you going to bounce after you hit it? So moment to moment, you, you know, you're you're really picking your line and you're working the brakes so that you don't fly off the side of the hill. And uh, it, there's no room for, uh, you know, all, all the worries of, of a bored 21st century boy. <laughs> yeah, just, brings you right no back room to it. in your body in the moment. Yeah, yeah, you, you, and I hit a pine tree. I did pretty good that way. Oh, I, wow. I, my handlebar just caught the edge of one, and uh, and of course that twists the bike handle. And I was probably going about twenty miles an hour, and oh, wow. luckily I didn't even hardly bleed from it. I, I and I take blood thinners, so that's uh, oh, that's a miracle. Good thing not to bleed wow. in that case, especially. Yeah. That's a miracle in and of itself that I that I didn't get really damaged by that, but. Maybe you got a pine sap on you. Sap yeah. is uh, yeah. holding your blood in. I I used to downhill <laughs> ski as a kid, and oh. I I I had a blind. I was a part of a uh, program called Ski Hawks. They had volunteers behind you calling out directions as you went down the hill. Oh wow! And I uh, I did hit a couple people in one tree. Uh, <laughs> that was you know it was the same kind of thing. You're so concentrating on the on what's happening that that you just yeah. You can't think about anything else, and uh, yeah, I, I could completely relate. Even trying to go up a hill, you know, I'm I'm so horribly out of breath trying to go up a hill. It's, uh, you know, I've had like three open heart surgeries, so the going up a hill is, it, you know, I have artificial mitral valve too. So it, it did I I told that story somewhere, didn't I? PQ, I'm sure. Yeah, somewhere in I. I, I... Toy Fair, New York City, 2001, new pair of dress shoes. I got a blister on my toe. Ended up with a system-wide staph infection and oh, right. lost, lost my hearing, you know, and then, and then wow. all the heart troubles after that was because it put a hole in my mitral valve and then repairing Ooh. all that. So so anyway, I'm, I'm shopping for electric bikes. <laughs> That's the segue into <laughs> I I really could use a little bit of assistance going up these hills. You could get, um, you could get one, uh, an engine for your uh, current bike. I think it fits, uh, fits on the hub and the battery goes like where your uh, air pump would go. Mm -hmm. I'm bike. signed up. I'm yeah. signed up for the switch. S W Y T C H. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, I don't know how much it is. I've, I've heard it's about $500. And uh, I, I, so I, don't I saw know. one that hooks, uh, sits on your uh, back tire, like uh, if you were to take a cordless drill and yes. put a skateboard wheel on it. <laughs> yep. 
and set it on I've your back tire, and then it, that does it. I think any of those would work. I I think that some of the hills for mountain biking, um, I think you would need about seventy newton meters of force uh, to comfortably get you up the hill without having to pedal too hard. Yeah. Um, that that might get you up the hill without having to pedal at all. Actually, I, I know the switch is a is a smaller one, and and that one you're talking about, Bob, that hangs off the back of the seat post. Yeah, it's they're right around forty to fifty newton meters of force. Uh, um, so so you would still work pretty hard going up a hill, but my father-in-law uh, had a Panasonic bike that was electric, probably about ten years ago. Uh, oh wow. It was a rather stout thing, but he would just zip around on it without you know, pedaling too much. Flat, flat driving and small hills, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> any any of that's really going to zoom you right along. Um, it's, it's just that that effort yeah, of just going up a, a tall hill is really hard. We used to have a tandem bike that my father and I would ride on. And he would, of course, do the steering and stuff, and I would do the pedaling from the back. And we, we come, we would be going through the park, and he says, "Oh, there's a big hill up ahead. Pedal, pedal." He would get me really working. <laughs> In the distance, he'd, he'd hear someone calling, "You're not pedaling, Mister Fay." <laughs> and he's uh, like, "Oh, it was the big hill." You know? <laughs> was it? Uh, um, I remember someone in the neighborhood having one of those. It was a blue Schwinn tandem bicycle cruiser style bike you know with the big white vinyl seat with the springs underneath it oh, and wow. uh the the really wide cruiser handlebars that kind of bent back so you could hmm. sit completely upright while driving wow oh, no, mine was more regular <laughs> more pedestrian <laughs> seating on the bike yeah <laughs> nothing fancy yeah Yep, those were some good bikes in the seventies. Those heavy Schwinns. I mean, that's mesmerizing, Frank. It's mesmerizing the pipe action. Hey. Yeah, well, well, Frank's blazing used... up his pipe in, a, in the match. Yeah, it was oh. getting brighter with each puff. It was. Uh... Yeah. I ran smoking out of cigars, it. so I had to go back to smoking a pipe like J.R. Bob Dobbs here. Oh yeah, that's Smooth. excellent. I like it. You said that your tobacco um, does not smell all that great, but it well, it's an English—it's an English blend. It tastes really good, but it's not like that nice-smelling pipe tobacco. Now, oh man, no swisher sweets for you, I suppose. <laughs> Do you remember Borkum Riff from the, you know, from the? It'd be at like drugstores. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Borkum Riff—that was yeah, that was our name. pipe. Tobacco of choice in high school. I liked the Balkan Sobrani. Oh yeah, that's really good. I've, I've had that. I've had that yeah. in one exactly. I don't just, think they make it anymore. I <laughs> had it as of like the, in the early two thousands. I used to get Balkan Sobrani. Yeah. Do they still be, make Bond Street? I don't know. I mean, I I was much more heavily into pipe smoking in in the decades past, but. Um, I want to get back into it. It's certainly out of fashion now. You don't really see people smoking pipes anymore, but not tobacco. I think that's a great, that's a great uh, <laughs> incentive to start, really. But I mean, uh, you know, as I've said many times on on my show, that you know, like uh, this current system I have with this, I have these two pipes, and I have some really old pipe tobacco, and it's been like okay. But then, like yesterday, I smoked a 
a pipe and it was amazing. Like, yeah, it was like, uh, it's unbelievable how different it is. And I found that when I smoked every day, one, maybe once or twice a month, you'd get that one perfect uh-huh. pipe that was like mind bogglingly uh, aesthetic experience. Yeah. I always felt like that with cigarettes, you know, camel cigarettes, um, camel lights, hard pack, you know, was, was, was my uh, smoke of choice. And, and I really loved the Turkish blend. It tasted like chocolate in a way to me, spicy chocolate. And um, every once in a while, it was like you're saying, Frank, every once in a while, you would just have this perfect smoke, you know, and it yeah. would. Uh, and, and a lot of times you smoked it just because you were addicted, but it wasn't really a great <laughs> smoke. But, yeah. then, you know, but every once in a while, you know, you just have this perfect moment with a cigarette. And that that's the that's what you what I miss about them. Yeah. See, I, I'm trying to not, I ran out of cigars. I'm trying not to buy more because I'm trying to like cut down on smoking so much. But then I'm like, okay, okay now I'm so smoking I'll a pipe, pipe every day. So it's a lot cheap. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper because it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I know there's still the subculture out there of people doing it, but it, it can, if you really do it right with pipe smoking, it can take up a lot of your time and energy. Uh, to keep everything organized and have a bunch of different pipes, clean them properly, aging the tobacco and everything else. So, man, I was huh. just walking earlier today listening to you talk about that, Frank. That's right. <laughs> I listened to your show earlier today. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so funny. You can. Use By the way, that. thanks, Frank, for taking us to Italy. I love the pictures and listening and everything. I did. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Right. I mean, that was quite a remarkable trip i'm still really processing it myself like we just it was intense i mean every day it was like these new challenges and new places it was not like it was in it was incredibly rewarding but it was not like relaxing it was amazing <laughs> yeah yeah that was some real strong feels you know when when you got over to your grandfather oh, that was oh yeah that was Town like and- talk about emotionally intense yeah that, I mean, like when my uh, my relative Sarah said, "Oh, this is the house where your grandfather was born and grew up." I like I doubled over. I'm like I I'm like I couldn't even believe that I was there. Wow, yeah, that was, was so powerful. I really I felt bad. We were only there for one night, but uh, I'd love to get back. Because you've heard about all these places yes. so many times, I'm sure, and that's amazing. Yeah, and my grandfather was from there, and he sort of he moved to America and made a little bit of money so he would actually like send money back to the town and uh ha- make have them have a party and this they showed me the building where they would have a party he'd send the money to have a cool. party and stuff and wow you know it was uh i think he liked the fact that he sort of did well because you know like oh yeah, yeah. post-world war ii construction industry in central new jersey but he always went back with his huge american car driving <laughs> through those little streets of italy <laughs> Yeah. That's the most amazing thing is that he brought the car, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a lot of expense to do that. A different world. Yeah. Back there. They went on vacation for three months to Italy in 54 and in 57, you know, with wow. the car, with their car from America on the boat, from the boat. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, people don't do that anymore. And then in well, 60, uh-huh. 60, they went to, they went to Russia for a nice little trip to the Soviet Union. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So, is this is the is this the grandfather that was the communist? Yeah. 
so interesting that he latched onto one of those big capitalist American cars, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think he he was he had like a fascination because when he was growing up in Italy, he was an, against Mussolini, so he was the the other side again, kind of like talking. We were yeah. talking about Russell Brand before. If they you're against, if you're, yeah, yeah. If you're they, against one thing, you're then you are for the other thing. You're the exact opposite, but yeah. this doesn't. Uh, doesn't... <laughs> oh no, the yeah. life just makes us so often into hypocrites. Oddly, yeah. and you don't even <laughs> notice it. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to fight racism by being racist to the other people this yeah. time. Yeah, those people. Yeah, those <laughs> yeah, racists. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> sure. That won't cause problems in the future. <laughs> well, it, it, it works to cause friction. That is the basis of societal mind control. So. Ah. Oh, yeah. No, as long as you're fighting amongst yourselves, you're <laughs> not going up the hill with torches after the big guy. Yep. Yeah. But, th but yeah. that friction and that stress it does put people's minds in a suggestible state so it doesn't really oh, matter yeah. what it is i mean that's why i think trump has been so useful to them because he can cause a lot of you know agita to people you know <laughs> the media uh, can't let the man go for sure yeah yes i really i i feel like now is the time just to like for him to just retire and just whatever like it's fade out of existence yeah well it just it just I have I saw a few interviews with him recently. He just he seems like he just really wants to just drop out of everything, but for whatever reason he's beholden to whoever to, to do it. But it does seem like his his time is up at this point in terms of I Well, think I think really that everyone's time is is really you can feel the pressure on things because you know what happens? You know, we catch some of this, you know, all the friction you guys have in, in the US, it like a lot of it makes its way up here. And then we have our own stresses and strains in Canada here that are they're percolating to the surface. So it's it, what happens when basically that myth, that Western myth that if you work hard and obey the rules, you will get ahead, you will get a place, there will be a place for you uh, to be successful. And that's kind of fading, right? Like that's that's mm -hmm. young people are looking around and realize I could work my butt off and I it wouldn't matter. I could never get a home. I'd be a renter if I was lucky for life. And if not, I'll be homeless. Like what happens when that sense that that it you know that it people get what they deserve and if they work hard, then you know they'll do well. It, when that really the lie of that is shown as it is now to be just silly to have ever thought that things work that way. You know. I think we're still kind of coasting on what was the American dream, the Canadian dream of of success. And you know, but what happens when when the young people really realize in their heart of hearts that it's it's not like that for them? Well, it, it, never... it, it was like that because, like, my grandfather, born in 1905 in in uh, northern Italy, and eventually came to America and did well and. He kind of lived the American dream. Yeah. And yeah, it was kind as... of like it, it kind of really didn't start to sort of fizzle out until like the seventies, really. You know. Well, even even my father, I I mean he did you know, he worked hard all his life in one company for like fifty odd years at least. Right. Like he he had that success, went to university, did, you know, was a good solid guy, you know, and got the opportunity and really got a stable, you know, mm -hmm. we moved around a lot in life like i've been in a number of different cities but 
but we had that stable, steady income, right? And so, yeah, like even up, you know, until recently, you know, I would say that it was still at least possible. But now, you know, maybe over the past maybe 10, 10 plus years, we're entering an area where it's it's unlikely, very unlikely that you will have anything like that life path. It's well, interesting but, yeah. that it it all happened. It it all coincided with the writings of the World Economic Forum. You know, by complete coincidence, I guess. You know, they started they started writing about killing off the killing off Western culture and you know and replacing it with you'll own nothing and be happy and the government will be everything. And you know, rather than have people be good because they're morally centered. Uh, people who believe in a higher power, well, they'll be good because there will be an infinite number of laws and an infinite number of people telling on them and you, you know uh, watching them and observing them. So it's 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 kind of like absolutely by design, I would say. I I, I think they've I, I think they believe they're doing it for good reasons, um, but but I just think it's a net result. You know, at, at the end of the day, the the 10% right in every little zip code used to control things. And then over our lifetimes, that's expanded to the global 10% rather than the local 10%. And when there's a local 10% that control things, well, they care about their community. Uh, you know, their family lives in the community. Uh, their Their family works with other people in the community. So there's a tie there. But when you push power so far away that the true wealthy 10% now is just a cabal of 10% of the population that live all over the world. They're not connected you know, to anything. They don't care. And, about, yeah, they're yeah, not connected yeah. to anything. And, and, yeah. and the yeah. upper 1% of all of them, well, they meet at Bilderberg every year. They meet at the World Economic Forum. They, they put communists like Trudeau in charge of Canada. You know, they – they they put all the presidents we've had the the whole Republican and Democrat thing. I mean that that's obviously been theater for a long time at this point. There's yeah, Trump was Andre the Giant. You know <laughs> he was a bad guy, and then people decided that they liked him. You know, <laughs> he became he became a thing. Yeah. yeah. The the wrestling really is a, a, an interesting connection there yeah the, the whole like you've talked about yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean he's my, my theory about trump is that he's he actually doesn't know what's going on but that he became beholden to a whole lot of people in ways that this is just my theory about him that he became aware that he was beholden to people but didn't really know what was going on so when he joked about running for president and they sort of subtly suggested no really do it really do it <laughs> he felt like, wow, these these people, I really better do it. Like I sort of, that's my theory of Trump is that he's, and he excels at, um, you know, that wrestling, you know, playing the the villain, the the the, the heel, and uh, he just has such a natural talent for it. He's and he is a funny guy. If you listen to him talk, he's like a he's like a Don Rickles. He's like an insult comic, you know. But uh, I, I agree. If if you can yeah. disconnect yourself from the emotions of the age and the press of the age, I I, I find it very humorous too. And I, you know, but, I agree with him about a lot of things. But so I feel like like to him, like he was like 
a rich kid and then he's became like this New York celebrity and you know there's like a great scene when it was on uh, David Letterman when um, they just like went to like visit him like they, like David Letterman just went to his tower and yeah and like he led him into his office and it was like this like I think he was living this sort of charmed mm. life and now it's just for him personally has become like this utter nightmare of having to be like this now weird political kind of creature you know so I sort of feel like I don't know if that's narrative is ever going to come out where sort of like his personal nightmare that he kind of never wanted to do um you know that's just my view of it because you know uh, speaking there's... of that little synchronicity frank yeah. um going back to the thing about movies changing yeah there's trump was in a scene in uh home alone i think it was mm, that's true hey. and uh the the latest release of that has that scene cut really uh, but, did, but did they talk about like because there's this you know people are supposed to get emotional about trump so people are i don't know i don't, I don't know you know I, I think they just didn't like trump so they cut his scene <laughs> mm. uh, yeah it was a home alone too i think he was in home alone too because he was the, yeah i think you're right lost in new york i think was that's the right subtitle right. yeah um but that's the that is the um where we're headed is if the, if nobody owns anything, then Berenstain Bears and all that kind of stuff is just going to happen constantly, and you're never going to believe what you think you know because <laughs> there's not going to be any proof left. That's right. Yeah, they're going to just say they'll say no. Uh, you know, uh, Trump wasn't in that movie ever, and they just take right. him out, and nobody has access to a copy except for the people in control. So, I hope um, some wealthy people or... and went back to physical oh, boy. Uh, yeah me too dave no i i do not i do not trust electronic copies of books uh i just i just don't think there's any any way you could possibly trust that that what they're you know what they're presenting is what was originally there yeah uh, remember, remember that scene in rollerball I, the original rollerball where they had all of history stored in these like glass tubes of liquid and there was a malfunction. Oh, we just lost the 17th century, all of the history. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. That was the original rollerball. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. James Kahn. Yeah. yeah, James Kahn. Yeah. Well, I've I've been a big investor, like in in ebook. I've I've probably got a good 3,000 uh, Kindle books, uh, which, in, according to the license, I guess they could update, uh, push updates to. Um, mm -hmm. I. I have yet to encounter any because I I went on a you know I grew up not being able to get books that I wanted because they weren't accessible, right? right. It's just impossible. So now, of course, you know, in, in twenty I think it was twenty fourteen when uh, Amazon made their app accessible, I just started buying like all the books I wanted, like that I still wanted that I enjoyed when I was younger. You know, if oh, I, I still think you've made the right decision for you. I mean, I, I would, too. I mean, you know, being well, able to yeah. read them versus not being able to read them is a huge difference. Yeah. But then but then now, like people are talking about all this change, right? That is that it's likely that, you know, some of these, especially I guess it's more likely with older books uh, that will be changed. And I keep waiting, uh, wondering, like, when I will run into one of these things that has been modernized. And I'll think to myself, oh, I remember it differently. Like I have not yet had that experience ever. 
I, I don't think you would. I, I think the truly malicious stuff would come later in the plan. There's too much evidence right now. There, there's too many ways for other people to show what was done. Um, but but just, just do game theory in your head and, and say, if a centralized authority, right, and a centralized power, if they had the ability to change history for whatever they believe in, would they? And, and I think the answer is yes. And I think the question is, have they? Yeah, yeah. They? <laughs> I think they have. I, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just saying that I, I don't, I'm not surprised that, you know, if I had a Kindle 2 and I had all the classics on it, I, I don't suspect that I would find an edited change that I would not have heard about on the internet. But, sure. but I, I think that's the sort of thing that you just wait one more generation or two and you just do it one night. And there's nobody left that can prove it happened. Yeah, you know. Well, there's no one left that would care. That's yeah, the, that's, yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the real thing. You have to. You have remember? To, you have remember have a situation my, uh, where no one cares. My story about you know, half the, the people would applaud, right? That that's. Well, I mean, that's how empire. Or they dies, wouldn't even know. Applause. They wouldn't even know that such a thing happened. Like my uh, lifelong obsession with the Apollo moon missions and talking to people about it around early 2000s. These two uh, young Russian guys I was working with, I described this to them. Oh, it's fake. Like, who gives a shit? Who cares? The moon mission was fake. Who cares? Like, they understood what I was saying, but they thought it was the most ridiculous, stupid thing to talk about. They didn't care one way or the other. So I think that that might be kind of like, right, we're all thinking about the extremes of this new world order plan we're talking about, how it would be um, something that we would find disagreeable, but but that kind of stuff. Generations, they wouldn't even know that anything happened. They would not even know the difference. But that kind of stuff does make a difference. Like (laughs) if you start chipping away at all the good accomplishments of a a society, of a culture, and you really undermine the believability, like cast doubt on everything, sooner or later, that it does matter. It does. You look around and you can't believe in anything, and you're left with this, this anger that has no outlet Mm. and you're just stuck there like that's a sad way for things to to fizzle out and i think we're kind of in that territory too you know people have have hey guys i gotta run all right chad thanks for passing you the exit ramp great talking to you bye 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 Bye, everybody yeah it was funny at at work today we were having a little little meet just a little in our department just a casual kind of meeting on zoom of course because I don't really go into the office that much, but, um, you know, I sort of, I don't know how we got on the topic, but I'm like, you know, I guess I have people living in bubbles and stuff, but I'm like, you know, for me, like I spent from age, what, like, uh, 13 to 23 or something like in the 1980s. And I said that like the 1980s is still a shield that I carry with me that shields me from all of this 2020 stuff that all of the life experience I had and the sensibilities and the world that was the 80s and the 70s and 90s as well kind of provides me this kind of buffer zone to kind of interpret and uh, sort of tolerate what's going on. But I understand the same world and all of the crazy news that I'm seeing, people are seeing without that kind of a shield. And that's kind of horrifying to me because I I would never, it's not something I've chosen. It's just that, you know, I, I find that my worldview was very influenced in those years, you know, being an adolescent, the world you grew up in, 
Yeah, yeah, same yeah. here. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I got that messaging of, of the middle class success, right? You Things will work out somehow, you know, no matter how grim things get, you know, it will be all right. You'll make your way through. Things will happen. People will come, you know, will help out when you need it. You know, that's kind of the messaging that I grew up with. Like it was, you yeah. know, and now, you know, it, it does. Like I, I still, I, people think of me as a pretty optimistic person i tend to be uh that has been worn away at though you know really i do have that uh, an increasing sense of of that no you know things things could really go badly you know quickly uh you know i have good people around me i'm i'm still i consider myself lucky in a lot of ways just the people in my life the the resources i have but yeah i mean a lot of what i what i would have thought even 20 years ago uh, the security I felt, the, you know, the, you know, how things were, were more fixed and, and by and large safe. You know, a lot of that has been, been, yeah, kind of chipped at. But we should be as a world society doing much better now and not much worse as we yes. have, we have all of the ingredients for a very advanced, very pleasant society to live in worldwide that what the heck is happening? What is the, reason that there's all this weirdness and all of this stress uh, going on in the system because i really do believe as i've talked about so much that in the late 60s they were talking about the imminent world where people wouldn't have to really work very much and what, what are you going to do with your leisure time like that was a possibility back then that in the 70s this world would have shifted over to um efficiencies of infrastructure this is even before any kind of ai kind of stuff um so why didn't that happen? And at this point, when we're even that much better off in terms of our technology infrastructure and expertise on things to produce the goods and services people want, like, why are we in this weird space? And I have a million theories about it, but I, I have to think that those behind all of these plots think that they're doing something good. And, and just what is it that they think they're doing that's, that's good, you know? You know, my pet theory is that, uh, you know, this world has kind of only been allowed to, as Dave with uh, the sermon series, right, the kind of the situations that happened as the, the dawn of this kind of scenario, right, the humans, I think, were rather controversial, and whether or not to keep the humans around, and those that said, no, no, humans are great, let's keep them around, all right, well, now it's your problem, you've got to keep these humans under control, or else we're going to, you know, shut everything down. And uh, I think that may be what these, some variant of that idea that it's their responsibility to keep human society within a certain um, path or a certain realm that is um, acceptable to the higher authorities. And if they don't do it, humans will run amok and then they'll pull the plug, right? Yeah. Whether that's true or whether that's a completely fictitious belief system, I think there must be something like that that the elites are believing about their mission because otherwise how do you motivate someone to be part of something that's just pure evil you know like they have to think it's good at some level i i, I would you don't have, have to believe that they're really just some other totally alien race i mean the elites they're called elites because they think they're better than normal human you know yeah. they think that they're yeah. a separate group 
you know? all the, all that all there needs to be is a belief there yeah. right there could be no aliens or no other it could just be humans on planet earth and it was evolution and the big bang and everything but they've fallen into some sort of belief system in which case it's a tragedy obviously for the entire human race that there's a group that has this arbitrary and ultimately untrue belief system that is kind of wrecking the world but they think they're doing something good i i would have to imagine i don't know you would have to i mean you couldn't live with yourself or yeah uh, well at least yeah i've thought about that i I read a book by a a native american uh, storyteller i can't remember the name of him just escapes me i'm thinking it wasn't richard wagamese it was was another uh he did a book called the power of story um and it was all um basically about how stories we have to find a better story like it was all about how the first nations people have their stories that and and they have you know they're cast often as victims of colonial forces which absolutely you know that that's true uh you know but what, what this guy is saying is no one no one thinks of themselves as evil right like like he's met a lot of he was a I think a judge in life, among other things. And he, he said, like, no one really, he hasn't met anyone who thinks of themselves as really evil intentionally. Like, I will, yeah. I will harm people to, to thrive and, and I have every right to. Like, it's not like that. Usually it's, you know, they're trying to be helpful in some way, right? The, the missionaries and people were trying to be helpful in their eyes, you know, to, to these, these First Nations people who didn't, you know, fit their model of society, of modern society, and unfortunately ended up basically destroying a culture. Uh, you know, and, and now we're we're all paying the price for that in various ways. Uh, but what's needed, according to this fellow, is is a new story. You know that that is that serves everyone better than what we have now. Well, it's I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just going to make a quick point that both Hitler and Stalin probably thought that what they were doing was right, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, even though they were on opposite sides, they were doing the same kind of shit. You know? Well, there's a, there's a, as I mentioned earlier, the Adam Curtis documentary uh, called uh, Trauma Zone. Um, Russia 1985 to 1999 and you can watch it on a website called thoughtmaybe.com it really delves into what was going on in Russia around that time and they uh, they they show you how Russia was trying to have a completely centrally planned economy and they uh, they showed you the actual offices there was a tour of the offices of these clearly incompetent people that were deciding everything for everyone in Russia, like what they would do. And uh, it, that to me, I never saw that before, that both this idea of central planning, which may or may not be possible, but the utter incompetence. For example, there was a, um, a laundromat in Leningrad or something, and uh, they just had a, they would do laundry, they would wash clothes. But one year, they um, replaced all their washing machines with new washing machines so that they had all this scrap metal to sell. So this one year, they're like, okay, we're going to sell this scrap metal because we don't need it. So the, the people in this department saw that they sold 
X amount of scrap metal. And then they required them every year to sell the same amount of scrap metal because again, they were, uh, the, the central planners were utterly incompetent. So this guy's like, you have to now buy scrap metal on the black market to sell to so sell. We, don't, we don't get oh, penalized. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and there was a taxi driver saying like, you know, they would limit like the amount of miles you could drive as a taxi driver. So he's like, they had to go and put a clothes hanger up and, and roll back the odometer. So that's what's so fascinating is that uh, not just the idea of central planning, but that they were so utterly incompetent. And how does that happen? It was well, I mean, really, yeah. there it's not wasn't just in Russia. You know, it was here in this country when when, <laughs> when farmers back in the uh, depression, when farmers weren't getting enough for their uh, pigs, you know, they decided it was a supply and a demand problem. There was an oversupply. So what they had to do, they had they had the farmers kill off a bunch of pigs, you know, so they could get more for the ones that, that were left. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was just that it happens every year in your federal and state government because you yeah. have to spend your budget or else you do not get the same budget. Your budget gets cut. So everybody spends their budget or more. Yeah. So that way they can get either an increase or maintain the budget that they have. And the craziest shit gets bought because of it. And it's useless. Yeah. It's a totally useless. And it happens all over the place every year. It gets and, wilder uh, and wilder. It's wild. And then they, they got to the point in Russia where, where Gorbachev comes in mid 80s and sees that this whole thing is not working. So he's install, in, he starts perestroika, which is uh, he as they described it, he wants to give more power to the um, to those that are managing the businesses because he's realizing that central planning is not working. So like a car plant, they showed a, a car manufacturing plant. They're like, listen, let's stop with this department that doesn't know where they just have the managers figure out what to do with the cars. And then immediately, once they got that power, they started just stealing all the cars. The guys that the, the managers of the plants were stealing the cars and selling them to organized crime. And that's that that was the dawn of the oligarchs, because the few guys that realized how to do this, it, it just led to this utter criminality. It's something very fascinating about it that it uh and I just I, I I have to keep watching it, but it's such an amazing kind of view of how this kind of stuff works and how. What's the name of this again? So it's it's called Trauma Zone. Trauma Zone, okay. Trauma Zone, Russia, nineteen eighty five to nineteen ninety nine, and again, thoughtmaybe.com is a site. I don't know if the pirates. I don't know what the hell it is, but you can watch all those documentaries for free on there. And um, this just came out in twenty twenty two. It's fascinating. And, uh, Did they make Gorbachev keep making Pizza Hut commercials because he made one one year, so he had to keep making them? <laughs> well, they showed uh, in the midst of this utter disaster was going on in Russia, they showed the first McDonald's opening and in Moscow and uh, all the, the TV commercials for the, the uh, Russian uh, McDonald's. And <laughs> yeah, what a disaster. Oh, yeah, that good food, that good Western packaged food. Yeah. <laughs> and now Russia, didn't McDonald's have to pull out of Russia recently because of the whole Ukraine thing? Or? Yep. Yeah. I yeah, they pulled you... out because of Ukraine. Well, they said it was because of Ukraine. Yeah. More than likely, they that was an that was an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. 
they got out and then the, the Russians, I guess they had industrialists that, that took over those restaurants. And just gave it a slightly different name, you know. Like, yeah, it was, it was something like that, yeah. Like Gorby's or something, yeah. <laughs> a Gorby burger. Yeah. See, there was a time when, when Mikhail Gorbachev was like this pop culture figure, like uh, that pinball machine called the Taxi uh, from yep. maybe from 80... Mid '80s, a pinball machine. So Gorby was one of the characters, along with like Marilyn Monroe and Santa Claus and Dracula. You know, he was Gorby's. Oh no, I, I'm sorry. He, he was in Diner, not huh. the Diner pinball machine. But anyway, one he of them. A, he, yeah, he was like he was a pop in culture one of the character. Naked Gun movies. You know, when Frank Drebin, uh, he was he was one of the one of the villains, and Frank knocked him. He got a, he got a rag. Or a wipe or something, and tried to rub this bird. Yes, you know. <laughs> for those who don't know, Gor Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the head of Russia for a while in the eighties, had a, had a large birthmark on his forehead that became That's his signature. Gorby? Look, he has it. Look at this. Gorby's. What? I I mentioned Gorby's, and look, Jan Eric has a food product called Gorby's, the original. Wow, is it related to Gorbachev? What is that? No, like, is that like a burrito or something? Or what is that? It's some what kind year? of it's had a year on there. Thing. What year is that? Nineteen eighty nine. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, what is that? What did you just show us? Is it a food product or is it like a fake thing or what is it? Yeah, it's a uh, some sort of pizza roll thingy. Okay. Or pierog, oh. something like that. Wow. So you actually have so Gorby's is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Microwavable <laughs> snack thing. But is that like a collectible, or that's like your lunch? Like, what? Like, is that really? Like... Oh, that's a lunch thing. Okay, so it's not like <laughs> wow. I thought it may have been like a collectible on the shelf, like the, the collecting food packaging or something. No, no, it's fr frozen, uh, so I put, think I put it back now. <laughs> wow, that is amazing, Gor Gorby's. <laughs> cool. Wow. Well, I think I think I'm gonna head off, guys. I'm getting a little little tired here, but uh, it's been fun as always. All right, Michael Fair in Mississauga, Canada. Thanks for patching into the excellent ramp. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. And what will they package next is the next question. I don't know. I mean, if you think about like the potential of increased technology, there won't be packaging anymore, right? The whole point is like packaging is what fills up the landfills. You want to kind of get past the packaging thing, but packaging is so fun, you know. What would what would life be without? And I I guess they kids don't really have those uh, cereals anymore, the sugary cereals. But growing up, that was the major thing when you went to the supermarket, the cereal aisle. Oh, yeah, you'd Saturday morning, yeah. you'd see the, the yeah. commercials, a Quisping Quake commercials. I don't know if you're young enough to remember those. Those were just this, and it was the same cereal in two different <laughs> shapes. Yeah. Quisp yeah. was more of like an alien, and Quake was like a construction worker kind of guy. It was something. a construction worker, then he became a miner. He, they kept shifting him around to make him the proper macho. But yeah, Quisp remained some goofy uh, J-War alien. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, my fascination with cereal definitely seen them, but when I was growing up, Quisp and Quake were not part of my cereal world, so. Oh, oh I love Quisp. Quisp was the best. I don't know. I never had Quake. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always preferred Quisp because I was like an outer space guy and Quake was just yeah. this you know, working guy. No, no, I, I'll take the alien. Yeah, definitely.
You might remember Freakies. Yes, Freakies oh, that, that one. That's from Ralston Purina, right? Yeah, that was from yeah. Purina. I, yeah. I, I, I had I had that, and my friends had the magnets on their, their refrigerators in their kitchens of all the different Freakies creatures and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Freakies was great. Purina kind of like, weird. I don't know, they, they were sort of the also ran in the breakfast cereal world, you know. They were more associated that, with like pet food, you know. <laughs> right. That was the thing. I, that was always the. When you were a kid, if if you had freakies, you're like, oh, is that the dog food? Cereal? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They just use the same uh, shapes and they just put different stuff through the dye. Yeah. <laughs> well, why not? You're making dog food. Why you may as well make human food with the same uh, the same uh, line, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's it's somewhat similar in consistency and how you make it. So Jefferson, can you hear us now? Uh, sort of kind of <laughs> i think he's about to go to sleep jefferson are you awake are you awake asleep because he was walking around so much so jefferson what is your view on bir uh, birch beer do you like it do you drink it do you crave mm -hmm. it i think he's asleep actually oh, have some birch beer it'll help you wake up is there caffeine in birch beer i don't think so not generally um Typically, most of that's uh, caffeine free. I yeah. Think. Nate, what did you just say? Nate, are you are you there? Nate, I know you. We haven't really heard from you, Nate. You have a headache. He put a thing in the chat. Yeah. He, I think he had some bad birch beer. He said. Well, it's hard getting a word in edgewise here sometimes, so resorting to the chat sometimes helps. He says, "I thought my headache would ease up, and I join in, but no, got a bad." batch of birch beer i guess hmm. there you go <laughs> yeah i i am feeling sort of crappy so i'm just gonna listen or maybe sign off and listen online but um before i go do you know what that plant is it's it's not marijuana no is that oh, on like your thing? poison oh, sumac <laughs> it's a uh, it's a castor bean uh, really? is that where castor really? oil comes from it's supposed to be poison, I so I, I guess so. <laughs> really? But castor oil, was that, I think that's from that plant, right? Oh, yeah. If I you, assume. What was castor oil? It was like it's this cure-all back in like the 1920s or something? I don't know. Mothers used to make kids take spoons of it in bad comedies. Here's yeah. your castor oil. Yeah, yeah. Ah, no, no. And then uh, uh, in the Popeye universe, like one of Olive Oil's brothers' name was castor oil, right? Right, it's castor, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Popeye, he's kind of fizzled out as a pop culture behemoth now. I think they still have the strip. It's probably only running like most comic strips and like 20 new other newspapers left with. I guess there are, but I don't know. I haven't picked it. Is it still called, still called Thimble Theater? Oh, man. Uh, Popeye Mr. was really over, uh, out in uh, East Asia. I think Popeye is still very popular. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, you know, in Times Square in New York, where people dress up as these characters, I haven't seen a Popeye, but I've seen like a lot of Pink Panthers. To me, Pink Panther is yeah. kind of in the same realm as Popeye, like a completely lost cartoon character these days, you know. But somehow, people are still dressing up as the Pink Panther. I don't know. Well, he's pink, so I guess that's some sort of. I don't know. He has that urbane, sophisticated thing going with that great Blake Edwards. Uh, yeah. Thing. 
I know Henry Mancini. Henry Mancini, yeah, yeah music. Yeah. yeah. The uh, if you go, there's a uh, Popeye originated. Uh, the artist was from uh, Chester, Illinois, and if you go to Chester, they have statues, marble statues of all the Popeye characters all around town. It's pretty really? wild. Wow. Yeah. LZ Seagar. And they're still making them. Yeah, Seagar. Yeah, and they're still making them. I mean. Uh, I was there a few years ago, and they uh, just unveiled one, uh, uh, and they put them in different places around town. Like you can go see Popeye and Bluto, and everybody. Eugene, the Jeep. Hag. The yeah. Jeep. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jeep vehicles are named after. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, it's not. Don't go there for more than a day, but it's worth the uh, trip because it's pretty wild, and they're really um, well-made statues. It's. It's. Uh, it's wild. They got the nephews, Pip and whatever. They got all the different nephews, kind of like Huey, Dewey, and Louie, but it's something else with Pop, Pip Eye. Poop Eye. Pip Eye, and Poop Eye. Yeah. Just watch out for that uh, Poop Eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, is, is Bluto the same character as Brutus? Yes, I think yeah. so. Yeah. That, that's always been confusing. How did they change his name? That doesn't make know. I mean, Bluto is is a much better name than Brutus. The urban myth is it was too close to Disney's Bluto. Pluto. Pluto. Okay. Oh, but, the the cartoon dog that when they finally showed a picture of the planet Pluto, it's a big outline of the cartoon character dog on there. So a little in joke for the NASA uh, mm-hmm. crew. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not but sure no, otherwise. It, the nerds never did get comedy, so. Yeah, well, but you've seen that, right? The, when they showed the planet Pluto, there's right and literally got his face in it. Yeah, it's, it's not even that subtle. It's like the cartoon dog from Disney is on the planet Pluto. Well, it's proof that AI took over long ago, and they just didn't tell us. Well, if you if you measure AI in uh, the military sense, then it's got to be fifty years ahead of what they're showing us. Yeah, well, it's just I don't I mean, know that movie in the seventies about it taking over. Yeah, do you remember the Super Friends had the uh, the computer that uh, the Gorp or something like that computer that uh, took over everything, mowing your grass and everything. Oh yeah. That was on the Super Bowl back in the 70s. Yeah. Well, kind of hope that the AI will take the drudgery out of life and do your dishes and do your lawn and everything. But it's a double edged sword because then we're sort of, as humans, we're not really suited to a life of leisure necessarily. So I think that we don't do, do sedentary very good. We start like things start falling apart really quick when you're not like actively. Yeah, occupied. that I think is a big part of it because the potential. What happened to the dream people had of just a life of leisure? And, I don't know. Watching TV. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that was the perfect life. You would just sit and watch TV sixteen hours a day and eat, and you'd sleep the other eight hours or something. You just have this special chair. You wouldn't even need to walk anymore. Yeah, but walking is wasteful. <laughs> but is it that those dreams only make sense in the context of the drudgery of life? And then if 
right? It's a temporary thing that would be satisfying. That's the question. Because yeah. otherwise, why not just convert this world to a life of leisure for everyone, you know? If it yeah. works. It, it doesn't seem to. Although, well, actually, the COVID lockdown years kind of proved that nothing really happens when you lock everybody up. Besides, people start becoming very contentious and afraid. At least that's what I kind of saw happening. Now they're talking about another potential. Well, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be able to lock people mm -hmm. down again so easy. No. Although I see people out walking around out in the out of doors in the bright sunshine with nobody around them wearing a mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that always bothered me because it's, you know, the physics and the logistics of those kind cloth of masks. I mean, the ones with those special, okay, you may have a health condition, I understand, or you're just afraid. But people who are still wearing those cloth masks and walking around as if this is doing anything besides hiding this part of your face. <laughs> well, they said that in Japan, I read an article from a couple years ago that um, the Japanese culture to be able to hide your face was a great um, benefit socially so that they just wanted to wear masks permanently because then they didn't have to worry about presenting themselves to other people as much. Uh, yeah, whereas, well, you know, they've always been wearing those kind of masks if they're sick to not spread it, right? So you've seen before we all had the masks, uh, right. you, you'd see in Asia, in Korea or Japan, some people wearing the mask and you saw it for many years. Mm -hmm. that, that does make sense. If you're actively, yeah. if you have a cold or something, yeah, throw a mask on so as not to spread to other people. But when you're, you're working on this, the... yeah, you know. The phlegm from flying out of your mouth over onto somebody else. So it's keeping the more solid, uh, you know, uh, mucus yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, just air. It's it's has to do with how thick or whatever's coming out of your body that's got the, you know, things on it. So but yeah, the, yeah. The doctors wear those surgical masks when they're operating on you. It's not to keep them from getting something. It's to keep keep them from right. in your in your opening yeah right yeah. exactly right it keeps it keeps it it keeps it contained on them rather than it being spread from them to others or other places yeah yeah well my favorite theory about the whole pandemic is that it was sort of the ultimate expression of a time war that these different groups were kept going back in time and altering things and one group could not figure out how to counter the other group's efforts and decided to in, uh, create this, uh, this uh, pandemic in order to shut the whole world down and then shut down whatever their opponent was doing uh, in time. So like it's, it seemed to be the most extreme counter move in this uh, time war. Hmm. So that's probably pure conjecture. <laughs> Well, the last time they really were able to control what we ate, what we did, where we went was World War II with all the rationing. And I think if they were going to try to do that, again, this is these are experiments. And now, I mean, if we're going to have a World War III, then they can just pretty much war powers us. 
And maybe that's why they're pushing this thing in Ukraine and Russia so hard, because the last time I read 500, is this a real number or is it some yeah, 500,000 uh, young that, yeah. Ukrainians are dead? Yeah, yeah. That country didn't have how many people in the entire, and they've just thrown 500,000 of them up against this like wall of pins. And they've moved, how far have they moved, if at all? It's it's horrible. It's like they're taking a whole generation of people and just throwing them off of a cliff and then asking for more money to throw more people off of a cliff. Yeah, I mean, it seems completely wrong when you look at it that way. And I always just wondered, like, and I remember in the early days of it asking some people that were totally in support of, it, of our efforts to aid quote unquote aid Ukraine. I'm like, what is what is the actual end goal? Like what what does Russia want? What does Ukraine want? Well they, what Russia wants is the Ukraine not to be in NATO. At least that's what the cover story for people who support Russia and what Russia's been saying. There was a promise. It wasn't written down. It was a verbal promise that NATO would get no closer. Yeah. And then NATO started talking about accepting Ukraine. And that is one version of why Russia is doing this. Yeah, but like early on, could you have like sat down at a table like, okay, what do you guys want? What do you guys want? Let's try to figure this out without having 500,000 people die. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, that and, would have been well advised unless I mean, they had to have been able to see I, what you just can't keep throwing people. But apparently that's the plan for now. I guess the big question is, is that, right, as soon as this conflict touches a NATO nation, what happens? Does it go nuclear or what happens? You know, that's the big question because, yeah, we don't, as the U.S., right, we don't have to be supporting Ukraine. I guess it's voluntary, but as a member of NATO, if Russia starts rolling tanks into, like, Poland or something, then we are supposed to, like, Get involved. Yeah, it's World yeah. War One all over again, where yeah. we're obliged. Yeah, but yeah, the whole thing is very confusing because I know the cover story is that oh, it's just a military-industrial complex. They need wars to sell their For stuff, guns, and that that yeah. this is like, but they usually kept it out of Europe and they kept it in the Middle East and stuff and Southeast Asia and stuff. So was this just sort of like the next step in? endless warfare so they can sell their stuff but i always want to think that there's a deeper story or a deeper motivation to this stuff well profit is a really good deep motivation when it comes down to it but is it really it's just sort of like it's yeah well, it... i don't know more money seems to be even no matter how much money entities have they seem to want to maximize it even more somehow Especially when it's becoming worth less and less, you know. Yeah, if yeah. Like they're if they're like everybody else, you know, they're they're trying to stay afloat. They're trying to keep dog paddling, you know, and keep their head above water, because the money that they do have already is is not going to be worth anything. So they got to pump it up. I'll be right back. Yeah, inflate. Well, that's why they call it inflation. Somebody's there with a pump. Yeah. Yeah, and they do, and that that's oh, yeah, and everything's getting more and more valuable except gold and silver. 
Oh, and I wanted to uh, send you some condolences over Laverne. Oh, thank you. And that, although I noticed it looked like the uh, ginger cat is stepping up or trying to. They're they're trying to fill the gap, fill the void. You know, you know. It's, oh, that's uh... got to be tough, though. That that cat was really like your companion. You remember how she used to get right up here, you yeah. know, and 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 like lick on my earlobe, and you know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, she wasn't shy about it. That was just neat. Did you see the picture? Did you see the picture? Yeah, that, it was weird. You were talking when well, they were talking earlier about how you would search for stuff on the internet, and and. Mm -hmm. I look. I was looking for a particular picture. I, I said in that show that I was looking. I was going to use the one for uh, that had her with the microphone to go on her little box that has her. That's going to have her ashes in it. Uh -huh. I was looking for that, and I put in you know that like in the little box, the little search box down in the left okay. corner of your laptop. Yeah. I put in like JPEG Laverne. And that was the only picture that came up. Huh. I looked at it, you know, it was one that Lisa had, had, um, you know, worked with, had edited, had mm -hmm. photoshopped or something, you know, taken the color out of it. And um, it was like, I think she wants me to use this picture for this show, you know? Yeah. Now you get these messages and, I don't know that that the search boxes used to actually lead you to things. Now it's like, I don't know that the, the whole thing with Windows is just getting so wonky. And after every forced update, all my settings just are ruined. Yeah. And now they update like once a week. Uh, yeah. Let's keep us on our toes, right? I guess. Now my Uber app is not, uh, you know, I'm 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 losing, I'm losing connection in it, and that and and they're telling me that I need to uh, to update it, and I don't know how to update it, so I guess oh. I'm gonna figure that out. <laughs> yeah, um, I use Facebook Messenger a lot, and geez, it it wants to update like every two days. I'm not sure what that's all about, but I'm vested. And now I have to uh, clean the pipe with the pipe cleaners. Uh, oh, like real pipe cleaners that you used to use in arts and crafts. And yeah. Them. Do you uh, use the little, uh, I don't know, little alcohol-based solution that, uh, or do you just use a dry pipe cleaner? I just use the, the pipe cleaner. I don't know what I'm doing. I just cleaning it because so, there's this nasty liquid that gets in there when after you smoke yeah. the pipe it's like this nasty pungent horrible brown liquid and it kind of stings your tongue when yeah you... yeah yeah see cigars mm. you don't have to clean because when you finish with them they're just completely gone kind of like the name of this episode ashtray creek ashtray creek so this is a beautiful ashtray creek so it's Creek, C-R-E-A-K. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I sort of 
I was playing around with the word ashtray and somehow Creek as I was thinking like a town ashtray Creek with EEK. Yeah. But then I thought of EAK. So like the idea is that an ashtray is something that's kind of like the cigar is done or the cigarette is done. It's just finished. There's nothing left, but then you hear a Creek. So it's the, the symbolism is kind of like something that you thought was over. Like we're all talking about, it sounds like the dream of the world is over. It's all going to suck from now on. But there could be this creek, and then we see that things are turning around. Very sketchy kind of interpretation, but I was if it was Ashtray Creek with two E's, it would be like uh, you know the the ashtray is represents something very dry, and a creek, you know, normally has water flowing in it. Yeah, so an ashtray creek would be a creek that is run dry, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that could be another interpretation of it. But I just yeah. sort of like the. Uh, the way it sounded, as soon as I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I can use that. Ashtray Creek. It sounds like something. It sounds like it has a ring to it or something. Makes me think of Battle Creek. Oh, yeah, with the uh, Kellogg's. Yeah, that, that mystical city that you dreamed of when you were a kid, where everything was surreal. And then just that whole origin story of they're all Seventh-day Adventists, and they want to, like, curb sexual appetites by creating bland foods and all that kind of stuff it's like this weird very weird uh scenario that created all these breakfast cereals well they have a very i mean i guess they're still around they have a very healthy lifestyle i saw them on some tv program about longevity and how their practitioners actually live like seven to ten years longer than other people which is interesting but how quality is their life if they just want to keep everything they have planned. a big social yeah it, it, it's very social that's yeah. for sure what they do yeah but like graham crackers were an attempt to create a a bland food that wouldn't excite your passions or something like that oh yeah well that 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 sexual desire gets us into all kinds of trouble apparently yes gotta watch out for that well, think good thoughts. Clean yeah. Thoughts. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, when you think of divide and conquer as a way of controlling a society, what's better than to divide someone against their own body? You know, that's the first oh, level yeah, of your division. Basic desires, for sure. Yeah. Primordial needs. Well, that's one of the big aspects of human existence, right? Sort of dealing with the animal side and then intellectual side and where those two intersect there's a lot of interesting stuff happening oh yeah not just that whole process one minute you're all nice and friendly and soft and squishy and the next minute you're running like a wild animal where is that line and what is that well i think that's the reason that way back when they wanted to preserve humanity because it was this unique confluence of different forces and different aspects that was unique yeah but of course this all what i'm talking about kind of implies that there's other forms of existence that we as minds as consciousnesses as cosmic beings could inhabit other types of life forms than humans but we've all decided to be human for a certain time because of how cool it is it's so cool to be human isn't it <laughs> well yeah well, I don't know that as I'm getting older now, the thought of the aging process 
and how that's going to affect me over the next 10, 20 years is getting kind of weird. That loss of physical capacity that might happen. And you definitely wish for a very quick and sudden demise as opposed to a long lingering decay. Yeah, my I saw that happen with my father because he was doing really well until sort of the last few months when he passed away earlier this year. And um, in one uh, potential contact from the other side, my father said, he's like, well, I can actually walk here in the afterlife. So I'm very happy. Like I, it, it wasn't like, other than, it wasn't really that amazing other than like he could walk again. His physical capacity was back in, in the next world. So. Well, yeah, yeah, the idea of like just being stuck and reliant on others maybe yeah it's really scary scary concept well but that's sort of the uh you know perhaps the um reasoning behind the the introduction of the death system right that no matter how bad off you are as a result of aging or as a result of injury that the suffering will only last so long you know uh, it won't go on and i thought i had heard that canada was encouraging some governmental program of euthanasia but when i looked into it there's just no such thing i mean yes if you're dying of some terminal disease and you can prove that you're going to die they'll help you with that but like if you're just depressed and you want to die they're not going to do there anything. were people there there was i think some stories talking about how they were extending it to mental illness and people actually people who just couldn't afford to buy a house, just wanted to apply for the assisted suicide because they just couldn't afford a house and they, they were considering it. I think those were possibly sensational stories that weren't telling the whole story, but yeah, they're not because assisted suicide is a really this a slippery slope that uh well yeah, but that's that's why we've been know, avoiding we, it as a society. Should we have control over that or not is a real serious ethical question. Though. I think ethically speaking obviously it's it is better to the i i believe in terms of official policies to um to not have a assisted suicide though obviously you know if someone is going to do it they're going to do it you know but um we all can see certain very extreme cases where it would seem to be called for but then there's the next one which is a little less serious and the next one's a little less serious it's a very difficult issue and i think it's an issue that you know has been sort of plaguing humanity for a long time and that right you know it's eventually going to happen like no one lives past a certain age you know right. but it is it is it is uh certainly uh one of the more difficult aspects of uh you know but it's just in a rotten situation you have to choose ethically um it's not the best solution but i think and in fact, more states, in fact, even New Jersey, I think, has assisted suicide now. But it does not really invoke very often, you know. Yeah, I mean, just the idea that you have to justify kind of takes a lot of, you know, just go jump off a bridge at that point. I have to get a lawyer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, especially because we don't know what happens next. Well, yeah, that's if always... we did, then I, this whole thing could be a lot easier. If we we knew one hundred percent rock solid, yes, there's an afterlife, 
that would certainly inform our decisions in a much greater way, but we don't know. There's obviously a lot of anecdotal and uh, psychic things that make people think that there's an afterlife, but we don't know exactly. Yeah. I mean, to me, the main argument is that our consciousness or our, our capacity as an observer, there's nothing in the human being physically well, I just think it's unethical. I mean, you were put here to not to take, I don't know, if you got to take the ride to the end is in my head. I mean, as bad as things are, yeah, tomorrow it could be better. And yeah. even in life when, you know, you think this is it, uh, this, the next day or a week later, something happens and maybe it isn't so bad after all. So, yeah, but I think also that not knowing the implication that there is a continuation. But yeah, there were some recent stories about the science of consciousness, how scientists are just floundering and failing to make any inroads into what is consciousness and how do we scientifically uh, explain the sense that we're observing things. Yeah. They have made no progress on that. And if you imagine a physical universe with these biological entities that are reacting to stimuli there would be no observation there would be reaction to stimuli but there would be no particular sense of observation in a physical system right i mean yet we're we're experiencing this sense of observation which right there's no way to me that a brain as a computer great it's calculating things that doesn't mean there's any observation involved it's just reacting to stimuli so the yeah. idea is that the, ob the the observational aspect or the consciousness is separate from the physical being that's to me that's the clearest uh argument for existence after uh physical death yeah not but, but not knowing kind of makes it tricky because if you knew you were going to go somewhere else that would make it so much more easy. Okay, things aren't going good. Let's try. It's, it's like you're playing a game and it's really going lousy, but you still have some change in your pocket. So it's like, all right, the heck with this game and I'll start another one. Ah, and the good doctor. Doc in Sleeve. a brilliant red sweatshirt, it looks Whoa. like, or jumper there. Very snazzy, Doc. Thanks for patching in, Doc, from England. I've got a yellow one as well, so I can I can do Star Trek cosplay. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm finally still... getting to the end of Deep Space Nine. I've been watching it with my friends online every night, watching an episode or two. And yeah, I'm in that last season now. That's really, for me, construction-wise and storytelling-wise, the best series, because the characters actually develop and change over the course of the seasons as opposed to being these rubber stamps that just inhabit episodes yeah well, funny, i'm just currently on seat part with well early on in season four of next generation which has been years since i watched that's the reason i'm actually up at this hour is because there's a streaming channel live streams them an episode oh, nice. a day and unfortunately the Roku app has been playing up and it only becomes available in the early hours of the morning, UK time. So I thought, what the hell with it? I'll just, I'll, you know. <laughs> nice. So I've just caught it. So, so yeah. 
I just started watching Strange New Worlds because we resubscribed to Paramount Plus. Yeah, I got that recently too. Yeah. And that show is maddening because as bad as Discovery and Picard were, this show is better, but it's still like not great. It's just slightly better. So it's like you're getting a, a trickle of the old Star Trek satisfaction you used to get with the old shows. Um, but it's better than Discovery. So I've yeah. been watching it. I'm not sure Plus. what we're going to try. Although the other thing we've been watching, it's really good. I missed it the first time around. American Horror Story. Yeah, I never saw that. But all oh, those wife, I, I've, my wife's been uh, watching it on Hulu. And I, we started with the very first season. And a lot of the episodes, Jessica Lange is in a lot of the series. Is, and uh, the guy who played Dahmer, even... He's a great young actor, and he really covers a, the casting in the show and the writing is just so creepy, good horror. And I, Have you seen any of those, Doc? You might get a kick out of those, because it's a really... Because I, I refuse to pay for streaming channels here, so all the ones oh, I get okay, on Roku. Yeah. I watched I watched a few seasons of those PQ. I liked I liked them early on. They got really terribly graphic later on. And oh, it, it gets more, more and more, more, yeah, more and more gore. Yeah, yeah. Now that kind of gets to me, but I, I'm I, I'm good at covering my eye and <laughs> doing that thing. <laughs> Just yeah, the, the actual vivisection and guts. I I just don't have. I never had it, but I like that it's scaring me. Mm. So there's that frisson involved. Jefferson, are you still with us? No, <laughs> he's just observing. He seems to be awake. He's eating something, but his eyes are closed. And what's going on, Jefferson? Speak to us. Say something. He's laughing. You can see it in his <laughs> eyes now. He wants to do a whole episode without saying a single word. Where's the birch beer, damn it? Yeah, send a case. Yeah. Parcel post. I still have some cans of birch beer that in shop class I made into a lamp. Oh, but I, wow. I took the lamp apart, but I kept them. They were like, uh, I think it was Briars, Birch it was be these beautiful uh, uh, cans. I still have them somewhere. I'm somewhere sure I, I was reading that root beer hasn't been real root beer since sometime in the 60s. There was something that was an ingredient in it that the FDA made illegal. And so all the root beer I've drank my entire life is not authentic root beer. There is something some herb or something that they used in it that they later decided wasn't that harmful, but they never put it back in root beer. Yeah. It was probably roots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can't eat anything out of the dirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but especially in our new germ-phobic society where everything, and some people need everything white and sanitize now at all times it's, and it's understandable because i mean if you're told time and time again that there's this thing that's going to get you you worry about it yeah i don't know it's weird lately because uh you know people keep getting covid but they're like 
not living. as serious as it was like uh, back in 2020. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. They're well, the, you, the, the Denise lived right in the heart of like when it was yeah. really a scary thing, and I don't know. Thinking it, it, back, it, it, I mean, except for that first like what 60 days. It seems to, to whatever strain it was, that people stopped dying all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, what happens is that if 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 your your virus gives you something that kills you, and it hasn't had a chance to move on to something else, then it dies. It goes away too. You know. Wow. So it's it's it it's better for the survival of the virus if it's not as lethal. So that's why it tends to become, you know, diseases tend to become less lethal like that. Ah, yeah, I medicine, like anything else, very technical, just throws me and I start making up my own theories, which make no sense at all. But but th you, that, that can make sense, right? Yeah, no, that, that what you said just makes sense. But I wouldn't have concocted that in my own head. Yeah, somebody like, else explaining you know, it to me. Yeah, okay, now that makes sense. Yeah, like a virus that kills you immediately. Like, well, it's not going to spread, so only right. a few people will ever get it. You know, right? Um, like, and this is giving a consciousness and a will to a virus. No, not really. It's on some level. I mean, it might just be a Darwinian thing but it almost like well hmm, i'll survive better if i don't kill people let me just do this <laughs> well see the thing of it is it's there's nothing it's the the forms of the virus that are not as lethal are more likely to survive right beg your pardon natural selection yeah there you go yeah. but yeah. there's also the, the fact that it, it isn't as appears not to be as lethal now is partly because the efficacy of vaccines, the fact that most people now have the, the, the knowledge to avoid when there are outbreaks, to, to avoid the behaviours which would make you more likely to catch it. Um, all those things factor in, into it. But the thing is, it will keep on mutating, so that's what viruses do, which is why they right. have to keep on tinkering with the vaccines. Uh, to, to try and, um, and that's so, why the vaccines are not very effective. Oh, you know, well, for this kind of thing, I mean, yeah, for smallpox and polio, that the vaccines really did us well. But did they? Did they do we know that for sure? That do we? Uh, yeah. it, well, we don't know what made do, polio do we know it was go the away. But boy, do we know it was the vaccines, or did did it just? No, oh no, me, could it have. Was the well, which led to the, the elimination of smallpox in the wild and why polio is something now that you mentioned polio to kids and they, they mistake it. I think you're talking about polo, a bloody mint sweet. It's the British you know, lifesavers, yes. Yeah, that's the bottom 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 line is the fact that even COVID it's very fashionable to run them down. But I tell you they are a I mean, because they can't stop you from getting the virus. They don't set up a force for Vaccine does it just they just give your body a better chance your immune system of actually being so it worse you get a milder reaction than you would without the vaccine i think they're very they're pretty good because i've had every booster shot etc and i've never had COVID. no matter how 
you know, bad. The, the case has got right, got got in my area. You know, I've I've been out, had contact with people, and whatever. At the height of it all, you know, I, I say the height of it, after I had the had, had the vaccines, never had never contracted, and I'm mm. a high risk diabetic. So, well, yeah, you no, know. you have yeah my my former bandmate, the infamous fruitcake toothpaste. He's just well, understandably, his health is bad, and he didn't take care of his diabetes. So he has a lot of bad side effects and health problems yeah. from that. And yeah, he's terrified and understandably. Yeah, I mean, the thing though about, about COVID is it, it does seem to be Russian roulette with it as to how, even before vaccines, how badly you got it. Some people with that vaccine got only a mild case. Other people die. Others um, actually had long-term organ damage. You know, it's it, that's lottery, which is what if you avoid catching it <laughs> or getting a bad case, it's best to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, that's vaccinated, but I still don't go out of my way to. <laughs> and it seems like, thankfully, I mean, it wasn't a lot, it looked like a lot because they were throwing it in our faces. But it was alarming when all those young athletes for a while there were just dropping in place for a few months there. But, of course, that's just a small percentage, and they didn't show you the preponderance of people who were perfectly healthy and didn't get COVID and are leading healthy lives. Well, but like all the former cool conspiracy websites that talked about Illuminati and Doc's favorite subject, all the conspiracy theories. Oh, now, yeah. all they talk yeah. about is this vaccine thing, and it just it drives me oh, nuts. It, like, it I want to see. Me out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I should be dead, according to them, because you know if you took the vaccine, then you'd be dead within yeah twelve months. Well, the they're, they're still pushing that kind of narrative, and it's it's just yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to hear more about weird stuff like aliens and stuff i don't want to hear yeah. about vaccines play acting yeah that was just <laughs> yeah well you give people an opportunity for attention that certain percentage of humanity will take especially now that we have tiktok and youtube and i mean the reality is that some people you can have an adverse reaction to a vaccine, to sure. any vaccine, and you don't know until you've taken it. <laughs> so it's not unusual for a vaccine to be an adverse reaction, but of course they then build up this conspiracy lunacy. Plus the psychosomatic element. If certain people, if you tell them something will happen, yeah, that their body or their being will act that out and... Yeah, we've been bombarded on both sides, depending what side you were watching at the time and buying into. Yeah, there's that whole factor. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, I still got it. I got it into COVID because, you know, Boris Johnson got it and survived. You know, so I think, for God's sake, you can't do anything right, can you? You know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had it at least once, but mild and thankfully, except for maybe an, a lingering brain fog. I'm not sure. I really feel like since I quit marijuana, and I don't know whether it's that 
it's that I had COVID and this is some sort of brain fog after symptom, or I'm just getting old and perhaps my synapses are starting to wind down. I suspect damage accumulated from how many years of smoking way too much pot. I mean, that'll do it in and of itself. Probably is a symptom of age because, you know, God, I'm not 60 till next year, but I don't know. I just keep thinking that my mental processes are slowing down. And whatever, well, just you know? forgetting <laughs> things and misremembering yes. things. Like I'll remember yeah. something and somebody else who was there would say, no, Brett, that's, you've got it all, the yeah. whole chronology off. And that isn't what you said. And that isn't what happened. And you've constructed this false memory in your head. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah like start you questioning your senses. So you're saying all the the Mandela effect stuff is just misremembering stuff? Because Doc, well, no, in, well, that happens on mass, so that's a whole in, other. In, in, in Moonraker, Doc, does yeah. Dolly have braces? In Moonraker, she should have braces, right? The, the girlfriend of Jaws. We were talking about this earlier. Well, did she? I can't remember to be honest with you. I remember braces. Yeah, braces. I remember braces. But right now, if I just watched the movie. There's no braces anymore. I always remember that he had metal teeth, and didn't she? Yeah, he had the metal teeth. I yeah. remember that. But God, I saw Moonraker in the movies when it came out. So I did too. Yeah. How many millennia yeah. ago? When James Bond was cool. I mean, when a James yeah. Bond movie came out, that was like the the shit. <laughs> this was it. And now, somebody, James yeah. Bond. Yeah. I, I saw the most recent James Bond movie in, in the theater. And that one, I forget what it was called. It was horrible. No Moon Raker, which one? No Time to Die. Was the no Time to Die, yeah. But Moonraker is, is great. It just Moonraker is like they just gave up on any sense of... They just weird. Yeah, that one was fun. Yeah. yeah that was one of the first Roger Moore ones, right? I think it was the second or third. Maybe the third Roger Moore? Fourth, yeah. Ah, uh, okay, ways in. Yeah, I remember seeing Diamonds Are Forever in the theater, and that was like the height of my James yeah. Bond fandom, and that was just... Moonraker is the archetypal Roger Moore Bond film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's everything we remember is Bond films as being... Yeah, Jaws is in it. Yeah, only a couple of them were like that, but we think they yeah. all were. Yeah, you see a lot. Yeah, a lot of Austin Powers in Moonraker. You know, that's definitely one of yeah, a source no, no, for the parody. Yeah, No Time to Die's problem is typical of many modern film series, in that a it's overlong, but b it has no existence of its own. It's there pure exists purely to tie up loose plot ends from the previous what three or four Bond movies. Hmm. So if you haven't seen them. Trying to watch No Time to I'm, I've been told by people who haven't seen the other four, watching No Time to Die was this incredibly confusing experience. So they didn't know what on earth <laughs> thing was being referred to. I, ex I experienced that because I saw bits and pieces of some of the other ones preceding that one. But yeah, it's. Uh, and I yeah. saw that Indiana Jones, the new Oof. one, recently. I. It was fine. It was just a, a, a an entertainment, a Saturday matinee, goofy entertainment. I I what I didn't go in with any real ex expectations or anything, but there, there was a lot of action and right. it wasn't it was, like a Republic cereal, you know, that they have compressed down, taken out all the all yeah the, the cliffhanger parts. But yeah, yeah. 
But it was just, you know, fluff. For, for, for two it's and a half garbage. Years, kept the um, I liked it. I like garbage. Yeah, I do too. I mean, did we? It was the bad. It was the bad kind of cinematic garbage, not the good kind. Hey, I liked. Uh, I liked the um, the um, uh, a haunting in Venice. I, I went to that. You know, after I listened to your to your show about being in Venice and yeah. so on, and I I thought, well, I'll give this Poirot series a little another chance. I didn't much care for uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and I didn't see Death on the Nile, but I liked this one because I didn't know the story already. It was based on a novel that I had not read, one of Christie's later... Oh, okay, I didn't know it was Agatha Christie, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Kenneth Branagh's m- moustache as Poirot is truly magnificent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's totally different from David Suchet's, who are, are really, you know, David Suchet is the definitive Poirot as far as I'm concerned. But uh, if that's how you pronounce his name, I assume it's the French pronunciation. Poirot, yeah. No, I'm talking about Suchet. Oh, Suchet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say Poirot is actually Belgian, isn't he? As he yeah, always Hey, yeah, he he said uh, in one of the, one of the episodes, somebody called him a Frenchie, and he said, "I am not a Frenchie. I am a Belgie." Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's my mom's favorite writer. One of the him and uh, uh, her and Louis Lamour are that she's I, read all their books. That's a that's an odd combination. Really. It is. <laughs> well, that Venice is quite a place. As much as I've heard of it, I experiencing it was uh mind mind-blowing you know i'd love to go back i i i i really liked the uh the, the parts where you were like kind of wandering through the little narrow alleyways yeah trying to find your uh vegan pizza and- yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know how i i had my phone in front of me navigating the entire time walking I was like, how do you find it, it's so confusing it's every it's just yeah and the alleyways that are like you know four feet wide it's like yeah it's an amazing place and i really liked the 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 part where you were at the uh the the um the old theater b&b that was insane (laughs) yeah with all the locks and all the Uh, doors and five locks it's just like the, the opening of get smarter mystery science theater 3000 yeah, and, and I had to get the hang of each lock. Like one door, you had to pull real hard. There were all these different styles of keys, even like these weird old style keys. Oh, it was yeah. the most remarkable place I've ever stayed. It was. You felt very safe in there because, like, how could anyone else get in? It's like barrier upon barrier, then that rickety metal staircase, and then you cl- then you climb out on the roof, and there's this outdoor movie theater that people are watching movies in, and very dreamlike. Really well, Europe weird. is just so much older than here. Our oldest things are like new in comparison with a lot of that. That's got to be really neat. Yeah, like the Doge's Palace in Venice. I had no idea what to expect. And it was sort of like at each step, it like gets more and more like bizarre and incredible. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is not the original Doge's Palace. It burned down. They rebuilt it in like 1530. Like, that's still pretty old. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, that's, that's a few and weeks ago. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it's a recreation. It's a rebuild, fifteen thirty. Yes, yeah, that's kind of 
mind-boggling, but yeah. You all kept talking about all the bells, and there there were the bells in this movie, you know. Yeah. You know, it was just over and over again. Um, and then when you're in St. Mark's Bell Tower, they they do the bells while you're standing there. It's like deafening. Yeah. Yeah. My ears are like, we're, we're, we're in pain after like being there. They just they just ring the bells when people are like two feet away. It's insane. I don't know that's why Quasimodo was deaf. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in the, the Lord Peter Whimsey series in the Nine Tailors, you know, that's part of that's part of the uh, of the plot is uh somebody getting caught up in the bell tower, you know. I didn't realize they were gonna they, they were gonna like ring them while I was there. There's no way to get out. Like you have to wait in on a line to get back down the elevator. So yeah. <sighs> but I that's what I liked about it. I really didn't understand like that you could go up to the bell tower the doge's palace what that was all about like it's just that venice was its own country and like the doge's palace was the capitol building the white house and the supreme court and this federal prison all combined into one place it was it was a simpler time it was just everything was expedited in one spot that's yeah, convenience i mean I mean, I guess it was only the highest level political prisoners that were kept there, but I don't know. I also got this weird sense that all of history is fake when I was there, but that could just be a my own. Something about it didn't ring true, talking about bells. You know, it didn't really, something about history didn't ring true. It felt like well, it was, we get yeah. that the version we that gets handed down to us is it's a tricky business. I mean, somebody telling you what happened two months ago. Yeah, is a tricky business, much less somebody who five years after a war or an event sits down and they won and they're telling the story of the people. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I need to see more about this whole Doge system because it's a very interesting well, so, political system. You can only be truly objective about history when everybody who participated in a particular event we're looking at is dead. Because the people who participate, you can only ever see it subjectively. Yeah. You can sit at the distance and look at it more objectively. It's happened with world, both world wars now. Um, yeah. You know, because there's very few, even people who fought in World War II, left alive now, uh, which is scary. Because when I was a kid, they were everywhere. All my relatives, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and they had a particular because they've been involved in it. You yeah. Know, they had a particular view on it, and they they didn't like it if you tried to contradict it about. Who uh, you know, it was all black and white and everything. Whereas now, at a distance, we can look at it more objectively and say, "Well, yeah, okay, we were the good guys, but <laughs> a lot of the things yeah. that happened weren't cut as we like to think they were." You know, <laughs> our leaders weren't always acting in a way that, in retrospect, was particularly honourable. You know, uh, you know, they they well, all killing own... people, no matter how you're doing it, if you look at it dispassionately. From some years after, you're always thinking, did they have to do that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we have to look for second guessing. Um, yeah. <laughs> this World yeah. War One was even more horrific. I mean, as bad as with the things we did during World War Two, the, the percentile of soldiers who went out and never came home in World War One was just I mean, whole and villages. We only got into it at the very end, PQ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not for us, but I'm talking about for the Europeans. Yeah. yeah. Right there. I mean, 
in this country, there isn't a single village, I think, in this country that doesn't have a war memorial with all the names of, God, you know, shocking num number of names of young men from the village who went yeah. overseas in World War One and never came back. Um, some of it's surprising, there are bits you don't hear about. There's a village called Eversley, um, a few miles from here. It's quite a few miles from here. And they have this war memorial on the outskirts of, of, of the village. And I, I once looked at it because it has a colossal number of names on it. And it's for World War One. I examined it more closely. What it said, in actual fact, most of those poor guys didn't die in battle. They died in a, I can't remember what it was, like a cholera outbreak or something when they were in Greece, in Salonika in Greece, waiting. Um, I assume for Gallipoli, we are waiting to be landed in Turkey. And they never even got to war. They were sent all the way over to Greece, you know, because this is a little village and they were sent there. Most of them had never left the country, but probably never left the county before. And without even firing a shot, they were dead. You know, it just seems... Oh, yeah, Gallipoli was just... You know, it's... <laughs> yeah, all those young men gone from that area. It's terrible, you know. That was a good movie, PQ. Oh, yeah. That was when I first heard about it, and then I read the history, and the history was actually worse. They kind of softened it up for yeah. the movie. Did they? Yeah. Oh, just silly decisions people make sometimes, but yeah, war. Like what we're having now, and like we discussed earlier with Ukraine, they're just throwing young people off the end of a cliff by the thousand load but do they feel like in the end all those lives lost will be worth it because what like if now, well no i mean if russia will never invade anyone again or like what's like what is the justification it, for it in the end i just don't you, see an end game where ukraine wins in yeah. this so you're a i ukraine. just don't Trust me, you're going to say, yes, it's worthwhile because we've been invaded without cause, without provocation by a very aggressive neighbor. And, you know, why yeah. should we give up? It's worth giving up. Well, no, that's the tragedy of it. But I don't know what's worse, living under a horrible government or you're in, an entire generation of young people are gone. Yeah, but that's the nature of set. People think it's worthwhile to sacrifice to ensure right. the country for future generations. Um, you know, I mean, we might have said here in the UK in 1940, you know, when France was over, oh, well, you know, there's not really any point in this fight, none, is there? But we did. And it was just yeah. as well because it did eventually lead to the defeat of of, uh, of Nazism and, well, fascism generally in Europe and eventually yeah. to the defeat of Japan. You have to make a stand. And at the time, yeah, the, the losses were terrible of young British men and men from the yeah, British. No, they were like literally bombing your own cities at that point. I mean, it was. You know, so, you know, but yeah. we consider it worthwhile because. But we still sort of live in a democracy. Some <laughs> under our current government, one wonders sometimes. But uh, yeah, yeah, without that. It would have been a very different world if we hadn't decided to to make the stand. Because right. there are opportunities. Germany made overtures for peace at one point, very you know, after the fall of France. 
but rightly they were rejected. You know, they wanted us to become neutral, um, which we refused to do. Not well, yeah, actually. that would have led. Yeah, that it would not have ended well. I don't think, and um, I think they knew that. Yeah. So you know, we 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 got on our Spitfires and Hurricanes and fought the Battle of Britain. <laughs> and you can watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But there you go. So it's the same for Ukrainians. They think it's worthwhile because, you know, why should they be oppressed and bullied by a neighbour? Did they spend yeah. years? Don't forget that all the time they spent reluctantly as part of the Soviet Union and before the inter-imperial Russian rule, they get their freedom oh, yeah. to sleep in again. So, you know. But did, did Russia ever state their goal for Ukraine? Like, we are going to take over this country, install our own government, and they will be a client state of Russia. Is that what they, was that their goal? Well, what they're, 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 like I said earlier, their story is that NATO told them that Ukraine wouldn't be part of NATO, yeah. and they'd made up at least a verbal agreement. And what the big deal is, whether Ukraine is NATO or not, is beyond me. That, that anybody has to die over that. But, but like, that, but like with patients like Ukraine, oh, there's Nazis there. Well, you know, there are Nazis in the UK, there's Nazis in the US. Well, you don't go around invading places because they're, you know. But like in World War II, for example, right? Like the Axis powers, they wanted to kind of they they said what they wanted to do. We want to take over the world, or we want to like. Didn't they state their goal more than Russia stated? Yeah, no, the they, Ukraine. They, they had a very yeah the eugenics, like, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering how specific was Russia's like. Listen, we need to destroy the government of Ukraine and take over the whole country. Is that what is well, that what they were Well, the, the Nazism is kind of disturbing because it isn't just like in the united states we have a few nuts who once a year put on regalia and goose step up the street that there a lot of people that they've got swastikas tattooed yeah. on i find i find that a little i mean it might be a different kind of nazi or whatever but even i find that a little it is disturbing yeah yeah but in the case of ukraine russia made it quite clear from the outset their intent was to remove the legally constituted and democratically elected government of Ukraine and install basically what would be a client Addictive, government like a, yeah. to Russia. It's, they so that was the United there. States has done several times. Oh, yeah. So, but like, could you say that for the people of Ukraine as a strategy, let's not fight, let's let this then install well, then, this no, government, no. and then in a few years, things will change, and then it'll no, be something that's, new. That's you know? because, no. because we've seen what the Russians do when yeah. they take over territory. And why should the Ukrainians just say, oh, yeah, we'll be oppressed. We'll have our language extinguished. We'll have our culture extinguished. No, they have every right to fight. Yeah. You know, I'm not the violent man. I, like, I love peace as much as the next man. You, you know, you cannot sit by and allow this kind of aggression to, to go unchecked and unchallenged, because also there's the wider context that unless Russia is checked there, then it's just simply going to encourage them to, to try and be aggressive elsewhere. And then it does get dangerous because 
The other places that it, it, it feels aggrieved over are places like the, the Baltic states. They are members of NATO. And if the yeah. Russians start wandering across their borders, unfortunately, it drags us all in. So it's yeah. in all our interests to stop them in Ukraine. Because also, looked at purely objectively from a selfish point of view, I'd rather they're fighting on Ukrainian territory, and I'd rather... In, in your backyard, yeah. Ukrainian people dying than my people. You know, yeah, no, that's, that's why I think we're throwing all that money and we're not, it's, uh, yeah. none of our troops are dying. But boy, that's but it doesn't feel like it's going to really just keep bailing. feel like it's going to accomplish anything and ultimately. Well, I don't know, but the Ukrainians have made quite significant advances against Russia, against the Russian lines. They've pushed them back quite a long way now. The, the, the Russians have been forced to abandon their offensives in the north of Ukraine. You know, huh. now confined to a strip of land there in yeah. Ukraine. And, and I guess the question know, is, is in if we look at it 50 years, 75 years, or 100 years down the line, is any of this actually worth it? That's the question. Well, Leonard Keynes allegedly said in the long term we're all dead. So yeah. uh, nothing's going to matter to me in 100 years' time because I won't yeah. be here. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, we can look back at all past conflicts and say, you know, hey, was that worth it? Were the Napoleonic Wars worth it? Uh, <laughs> I don't but, know. But was is that, Korea but is worth that, it? Was it, Vietnam it, worth it? I mean, but yeah. But is there definitive references that Russia said, our goal in Ukraine is to topple the government and install our own totalitarian government in oh. Ukraine? Is that an established? It's established fact that they yeah. wanted to remove the current legal, democratically elected government of Ukraine. Yeah. Itself. I think I, I thought at the beginning that they wanted to like retake parts of, of, of Ukraine that they considered to have been part of Russia, like the Donbass region. Well, it's you not know? even that. It's not that they're part of Russia. Their claim was, and they've, not, and they've used this excuse elsewhere in former Soviet states, the Donbass region has a high proportion of Ukrainians who are ethnic Russians, i.e. they speak Russian yeah. and are, are directly of Russian descent. Because Ukrainians, they're quite, they're different, they have a quite different history and they have their own language. Um, that was their excuse, and it's the same excuse that's been used many times, not just by Russia, but mainly the UK has used it as well in the past. They were there to protect this this ethnic group from oppression. I think uh, Hitler from... used it as well. Yeah, Hitler it's been used. used. We've used it. We've all used this excuse in the past, but I think we're at a stage now, I, I would hope in world history, where we don't recognize that as a legitimate excuse, because there are other ways of resolving such disputes. Um, the fact is, though, it's highly questionable whether the Rus ethnic Russians in the Donbass were oppressed in any way. They have been agitating, a, a certain proportion of them have been agitating and were basically what we would call them terrorists with their actions against the Ukrainian government for many years. Yeah, but as I say, that's that's ultimately a matter internally for, for Ukraine. If necessary, you get international bodies like the UN involved to, to arbitrate such things. But but the Russians simultaneously, that was one excuse, but they simultaneously were quite clear 
that they, their aim was to remove the government of Ukraine, which they claimed was dominated by Nazis. As their words, as Putin's words, not mine. He used the term Nazi. He would have said it in Russian, but he said the word Nazi. Not me saying that. That right. is beyond question. You know, he has made that quite clear. That is one of the aims, is to remove the government of Ukraine. And the implication after that, whether he said it out loud or not, is they would replace them with a government more sympathetic to Russia. Because in the past, even after independence... Okay, here, let me ask you a question. Let's say Mexico had an election, and for some reason they elected a government that had Nazi tendencies and swastikas and sympathy. You don't think the United States would go marching in there and do something about it? I would argue that, that unless they started invading the United States, which they did once before, of course, Pancho Villa, uh, I would yeah. argue it's really, really not the U.S.'s is, um, business to do so. Because again, no, well, we do a lot of things that are in our businesses, the cops of the world. Yeah, but, yeah. No, it's just a hypothetical that came to mind when you said that you know Putin saw that there were Nazis there in World War Two echoing and all. It's a difficult one to sustain because President Zelensky in Ukraine, whatever else one might think of him, and I'm not necessarily a fan of his, I doubt he's a Nazi because he's actually Jewish. So, oh. you know, uh, it's around Yeah, no, that, that... Right. You know, kind of rules that out. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. You know. Well, there's, <laughs> there's also the whole history of Putin's way of ruling within his own country and and his personality and i just i think that also well yeah he's a nut i mean that 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 you can't i've convinced me otherwise he's one of these like kook dictator types yeah it's an increasingly oppressive regime in russia and has was even before the invasion of ukraine it's kind of like if you made steven seagal a world leader the same sort of mentality well you know He's a, isn't he a friend of Putin's, allegedly, Stephen Seagal? I can't remember. The, you get all these I remember these, something about that, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. He's, he, he, you know, desperate for publicity, to be in the public eyes, they go around going to North Korea or Russia or where, you know. Didn't he move to Russia? <laughs> he might well have, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Gerard Depardieu, of course, became a Russian citizen, but apparently that was for tax purposes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he didn't want like to pay Russians taxes. don't pay taxes? I mean... Yeah, Not I in France, think. they don't. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The world of celebrities is just crazy, I'm afraid. Uh, oh, yeah. Dennis Rodman hanging out with that the, the North Korean leader, Kim. Yeah. There. For God's sake, don't. You know... Didn't, didn't the Nazi thing kind of start because the Ukrainians allied with Germany during World War II? Yeah, Romania, a lot of these countries well, made the wrong choice. Yeah. And Ukraine, like a lot of other Soviet states in World War II, it's incredibly complicated. Because oh, yeah. for many people in those places, they thought signing up with the Germans and fighting for the Germans was fighting, yeah, they were fighting the Soviets, who they didn't yeah. want in their country anyway. 
they didn't necessarily have I mean, believe me i'm not condoning people who join the ss and whatever uh, in, in world war ii you know non-germans who joined the, the ss i really wouldn't condone that but to some extent i can understand why yeah. You know, oh, it's, like, it's like it's like Frank was saying about his grandfather. You know, he became a communist because he wanted to fight fascism. You know, exactly. and it was like, and it was like the kind of the opposite situation. They became fascists because they wanted to fight communism. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah, and so why do you have to have this bifurcation? You know, yeah. of 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 political extremes. You know, and say you've got to be one or the other. Yeah, uh, Spanish Civil War, but in this country, yeah, a lot of the, the 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 people who went to fight in Spain became members of the Communist Party because they yeah. went there to fight fascism and support the legitimate government of Spain. Because other democratically elected governments wouldn't. Uh, yeah, it was, and of course they ended up being betrayed by by the by the Soviet Union, who eventually basically withdrew their drew their support and. Because of the non-aggression pact they signed with Hitler, which meant they basically stopped giving aid to the anti-Franco forces. You know, so yeah. Right. But but also, Dave, it's not universally true. Like if you were in the US or the UK, you could fight against fascism without being a communist. Yeah, but 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 over there in their situation, you know, they're they're uh, in in Ukraine, you know, if they wanted to fight the Russians, then they joined up with the Germans. You know? Right. That's just because that was the power force that you know. Yeah. That's the power that was available. I don't think right. it was ideological. Well, I guess not. Uh, probably not. I mean, it's just like it's, it's again. I'll go back to what what Frank said about. You know, he uh, his his grandfather joined with the communists because they were against the fascists, and he wanted to fight against the fascists. I would say he was more fascinated by the Soviet Union. He didn't really espouse uh, communist ideals, but he was a fan of the Soviet Union in terms of mm. he was interested in it and fascinated by it. A lot um, of people were yeah, in, yeah. In, in the West. It, um, Particularly between the wars, when when Soviet communism was it was in its infancy, really, because there's a sense of idealism that this was that it was going to turn into this ideal state that that um, the idea appealed to a lot of people on the left, particularly, and um, yeah, but unfortunately, of course, it changed. Well, as we say, the problem with, with Soviet communism was it got stuck at the dictatorship of the proletariat stage and never progressed through its evolution as Marx said communism would after a revolution. They decided. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's the union union of Soviet socialist republics because Marx said you have to go through socialism before you can achieve mm. communism, right? Yeah, except his definition of socialism was different. This is what's confused people to what we um, in Western Europe call socialism, which he dismissed as social democracy. Yeah. But a lot of Western people call themselves socialist parties, but the, 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 the Soviets just sort of had nothing but contempt for them. Because <laughs> you believe in democratic processes. 
<laughs> well, yeah. yeah, and they believed in democratic processes if it put them in power, and then yeah. end the democratic processes. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, what we call socialist parties in the West, where they have a continuing commitment to, they, they hold their power to, well, in, in Europe, in parliamentary means, basically. Yeah. yeah. And even fascism, you can look at and define in more than, at least more than one way, a number of ways. And now what people call fascism is what, a lot of people, if they don't agree with something, it's fascist. I do that all the time. I still do. I, I, I revert yeah. to my student days. You fascist, I, I'll say to him. Yeah, something. Oh, he's trying to give me a ticket. You know, I mean, he's not really a paid-up member of the WAP and SS. But no, probably <laughs> not. I mean, people will call me a commie and whatever. I read it one time because, you know, I, I, I was on the other side of Thing. Well, but, you, you have that sweatshirt on. Yes. Well, true, true. Oh, you read you. Yeah. <laughs> as I say, actually, it's so I, I'm, 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 you know, basically, you know, um, you're one I of the expendable members of the of the landing party. <laughs> exactly. Either that, or I'm an, an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, do we see an end to the Ukraine conflict? Will there be some sort of treaty, or how will it end? Well, like current. everything, all these conflicts eventually it will end around the negotiating table, yeah. because it'll come to the point with the Russian. Well, a lot of things could happen in Russia. Putin could die of natural causes. He could be forced out of power. Um, those are our sort of dream outcomes in 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 the West. But there's no guarantee he'd be replaced by more reasonable. But it will get to the stage where they can't afford to pour any more resources into it. It's taking its toll on their military resources. And uh, and it's taking its toll on their economy. What and was Ukraine, yeah? Ukraine will come to a point when you know they will just be exhausted. They you know, no matter how far they push the, the, the Russians back, they'll come a point when they think, look, we need to draw a line under this, and it'll end around the negotiating table, possibly with Ukraine agreeing never to join NATO and to forever be um, neutral. And this this which would satisfy. It'd be something that 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 Putin could take to his public and say, oh, there's a victory. You stop the advance of NATO. You know, there's also, yeah. you know, it, in the end, it will end up around the negotiating table, as they, these things always do. But to do that, they have to go through the hard part of, the, of us arming the Ukrainians to get them to keep on pushing at the Russians and pushing them back and back and inflicting more losses on them, which in turn will mean they suffer more losses for themselves. But that's what it's going to take unfortunately yeah yeah but what is it about russia like could russia have ever sort of aligned more with europe and become part of the european union what is it about russia that prevents them from sort of there seems to be so much uh common commonality potentially i mean look at germany they reform themselves theoretically and they're not nazis mm -hmm. anymore so why couldn't russia just become because like russia a one thing that's different about Russia is they have no tradition of democracy. They went straight from yeah, they never would communism um, via a violent revolution. Um, Before that, said the Tsar, who is just no yeah. prize at all. Yeah, it's just a huge dis. That's part of the problem. Is it's so vast and disparate. You know, people in one part of Russia don't have anything in common with people in other parts of Russia often, and. Um, 
I think it's like the European Union. Well, absolutely, yeah. That's the thing. It, it's very much a, con a, a almost a continent in its well, it straddles two continents in reality, but it's like a little mini continent in itself. Yeah. All these ethnic groups and, and whatever in it, because during the time of Stalin, they used to move people around. You know, the people who I, I found this out watching some YouTube videos by a girl in put out by a girl who used to who grew up in um in eastern Russia, the bits the bits that are beyond Siberia and border with China. And apparently they're all descended from Ukrainians who were moved there. Really? <laughs> Ukrainians also some people were moved from other Soviet states because they wanted to populate this area. And so they just moved people there. This is under Stalin, and there was a lot of that. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, is there yeah. ever any talk of like Russia, as it is so geographically large, to be split up into smaller states? Well, that's what yeah. tried to happen when the USSR collapsed, but like the people that live in Western Russia, like you know Moscow and Leningrad, whatever Saint Petersburg, whatever. Like, isn't that like? more connected to europe and then there's these other parts that are way out you know the big cities like moscow leningrad and whatever sorry not leningrad i'm showing my age here. <laughs> yeah over that they, yeah they like to think themselves as sophisticates and whatever and yeah. they do take look down on the people who live in the more eastern parts of, of russia um you don't think i mean this this girl's videos i watched it fascinated me because it takes i think nearly eight hours to fly from where she lives to Moscow. Yeah, it's this incredible journey. They have to go on over Siberia where nobody lives. As you remarked, nobody lives in most of Siberia. And it's like an eight-hour train journey she used to have to take from the, the, the little town where she 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 lived um, to a the town where a university was. You know, it's, <laughs> it's these vast distances. Uh, we don't comprehend here, and it does divide yeah. the station into these little areas where they, you know, but yeah, certainly in yeah, Moscow in particular, they 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 like themselves very cosmopolitan. But isn't the power structure mostly uh, concentrated in the those Western, you yes. know, more modern yeah. areas? You know, so why, you know, so, to Frank's point. Why is there not some commonality with the more Western uh, nations or countries? Well, they do to some extent. They have a certain commonality with Poland when they're not invading them. Um, you know, because they're Slavs. Um, and that's, yeah. Because what? They're Slavs. They're, they're oh, Slavic. They're Slavs, okay. And yeah. Slavs, they're a funny bunch uh, <laughs> because they're not Western Europeans. They're, 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 oh, yeah. It's, it's an odd thing. They see themselves, the Slavs are interesting. They see themselves as a distinct ethnic group, even though they all have different languages. Ukrainians are Slavs as well. And they see themselves all as this particular ethnic group distinct from Western Europeans um, with their own culture, their own languages. Um, yeah, it's, it's odd. Yeah. Although the odd one out in that area is Romania. They aren't Slavs. They claim to be descended from the Romans, and their language isn't Slavic. 
the language. I'll tell you, it's a romance language. Yeah. It's based it's on the same thing as Italian and Spanish and... and French, yeah. And in fact, the whole legal system in modern Romania is based upon the French legal system. I, I read that somewhere. I thought, that's interesting, you know, <laughs> because they don't see themselves as Slavs. Romania, I think, sees itself more as a Western country than the others do. It's yeah. so there is this distinction that um, they see themselves as separate somehow, um, which is why Russia traditionally are close to the other Slavic countries, but not to Western European countries. So I think it's one of the underlying reasons. Hmm. And we always have seen them as being somehow alien. The, 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 the Russians, particularly in, in Western Europe, there's something about about their culture or whatever that we just they are the other. Yeah. Now, do you think that we will see uh, nuclear exchanges in the next few years re related to this uh, these conflicts? Hope not. Once that happens, but can can we have can there be a limited nuclear exchange that does not? Escalate to a full-scale nuclear war. Oh, so that's the billion-dollar question. Yeah, yeah. But which, I'm not in a big hurry to find out the answer exactly. to. So, uh, I bet you some people are. Oh yeah. They'll use the nuclear uh, uh, waste uh, to poison someone, like they did the uh, one person who was going to come to power. I can't remember his name now. And they got in his food, and he got cancer and died real quickly. Yeah, and that was because they were feeding him uh, radioactive substances. Hmm. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but it was back in the '90s. Yeah, it rings that rings a bell. Yeah, he was a uh, you know uh, for a Russian politician, he was a pretty good looking guy, and then all of a sudden he got real ugly quick because. <laughs> They were uh, irradiating his food and, and, and subsequently his insides. So, jeez, that's not nice. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I got to run, guys. I have to get up super early tomorrow. Everybody, take care. All right, Bob. See you, see you here. next time. Thanks for hey, patching into the exit ramp. Bye -bye. Bob's there in Missouri. Later. Bye bye. Yeah, but like being being in Europe, it just everything seemed very peaceful and very nice, and you know, like you hear all this terrible stuff. I know, you know, I I, I was in a lot of different areas, and everything was quite lovely in Europe, and it wasn't anything going on. I don't know. It just seemed like that conflict is much closer to where than New Jersey, but you know, it didn't seem like anyone. I don't know. It's weird. Like when you're there, it doesn't really. The old it, just seems, it just seems normal. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, but like if you're, I don't know about Italy, but you know, like if you're in Norway, probably I know, I don't know about Jan Eric, but someone I know over there, like he knows people there that are much more closely connected to that conflict, right? And like, yeah. so if you're just if you're traveling through, you're you're not going to pick up on that. Um, yeah, I mean. Like they have had like drones crash down in in Romania, I think, and there were two guys killed in uh, Poland after a missile landed there by accident. So I mean, near the borders, there it's getting a bit dicey sometimes. But... Oh man! 
That's not a good but, situation. Especially and I assume there's the refugees throughout all the countries, Ukrainian refugees throughout most of the countries, I would assume. Yeah. We've got quite a few here. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know the numbers, but there's, I mean, I think Poland have most of them, but yeah, there's, there's they are all over here. Yeah, the British government had to have its arm twisted quite severely to actually take any significant number of refugees, but we, we did eventually. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it works out as nicely as possible. It's just such an ugly process. Well, before I sign off, I said this in so many words, Frank, on Facebook probably, but like, Honestly, to me, your travel monologue, I get more out of that than like seeing pictures of trips, like much more. Like it was just a much more rich experience. Really, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Because, uh, you know, it's weird because when I go on a trip, I have to sort of plan the whole show aspect. And I brought this computer there just to do the show from the road. And it did, as you can probably tell. There were so many moments, like especially like when I was on a balcony in the hotel room and able to record a little bit, like it just it's sort of a smorgasbord. It's a feast of recording opportunities that I took advantage of. And it, it was uh yeah, and as sure. you were saying, it was like such a strange trip. It was such a bizarre trip in some ways. Um but ultimately really satisfying and really rewarding, but not relaxing per se, but yeah, re rewarding. Yeah and frightening well, and there was like that moment on that chairlift that where we didn't know that there was a bar that was like this i still get the heebie-jeebies thinking about it you know? yeah <laughs> no, i that startled me when i realized what you guys were talking about i mean but in a way it was sort of like at least we just stumbled ahead and like we weren't scared we just did it but yeah we had no idea what we were doing we were totally out of our element and the people there were like laughing at us. I don't think they get very many like American tourists in that area of uh, South Tyrol. Yeah. If that's how you pronounce it, I did Tyrol, Tyrol, that amazing part of Italy where they speak German more than they speak Italian, because it used to be part of Austria. And then Italy took it after uh, World War One. Um, that was such a revelation. That whole area. Um, Remarkable. Yeah, you were off the real beaten path for yeah like even at the vegan hotel they were like kind of really curious about like how we wound up there because i don't think they get a lot of americans there right and in that whole yeah, area we did not hear a single anyone speaking english with american accent there's a few british but not no americans there that we so that we saw yeah this trip when i guess i was curious because a part of like what was so interesting is just kind of knowing your personal your recent personal history of losing your parents you know your mom and then your dad and then going through the whole thing with the house yeah you know, going through the stuff and then going to see where your grandpa lives i was just or lived i was just curious like had this trip already been planned and then it just ended up having that meaning or no it was just that a couple years ago our neighbors moved in and they're from Europe and they were oh, getting, the getting married. Yeah, they're so, getting married. So that was the impetus for it to go to their wedding. And then we're like, well, if we're going to Italy, we have to go to see that town where my grandfather yeah. lived. And then on the way there is Venice. And then oh, a little further up is this vegan hotel. So like it just sort of all kind of 
came together. But yeah, the uh, the weird connections between you know, losing my father and we always kind of wanted to go there with my with my parents, but we never did. Um, yeah, it was all connected in some weird way. I, I, it's yeah, there was a lot a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as the trip sort of evolved, it was just sort of my goal was just to keep going in one direction, keep going north. I didn't want to sort of double back. So that mm-hmm. that kind of informed the trip as well. Mm-hmm. Ending up because ending up in Innsbruck, like it was this huge surcharge on the rental car to go one way and across the border. I didn't realize till afterwards how much it cost me, but mm-hmm. um, I'm happy we did it that way because it was phenomenal, a phenomenal yeah. trip. And then that Dolomite, the, the roads, road going over these mountains, the Great Dolomite Road was like, I didn't even know about that. I found out about it the morning of the the day we went on that trip. And that was like the greatest driving day of my entire life without any question. Mm. That was like completely a surprise that Dolomites road. Unbelievable stuff. I never even knew existed. So yeah, I was really like stunned at every moment. And I don't think any pictures or any descriptions can really capture the Dolomites there. Like it's, I've never seen anything like it. You know, some places have a feel for sure. Yeah. The mountains, every mountain is different and every mountain has this bizarre alien look to it. And it, and I was like struggling to like get my uh, Google maps to like go the right route. So I had to keep tricking it. And then I lost it and I got it back again. So I think we wound up going on a better route because I kept losing the navigation than trying to like tell it where to go and, yeah. Yeah. It was a weird, but it it all turned out really well. Yeah. I got a glimpse of another type of existence over there. I forgot. Yeah. Brief for a minute. I had forgotten about the wedding and, and uh, that whole thing where there was the traditional music. You and Denise talked that, about it quite a bit. That was like, I can't even quite explain that. It was like, uh, it started off very subtly, this folk band from that Puglia region. And uh, there's a woman that was part of the band that was dancing. And then she sort of subtly brought the bride in to dance. And then there was this incredible sense or this energy that we were exposed to uh, energies from the past through that dance. That was something I never quite experienced uh, before. It was truly like a kind of magic. Um, And I think interpreting it through the, uh, you know the the the, mor- the morphic uh, resonance idea that we really were making contact with the patterns of people in the past in that region because that region has much more in common with like the Mediterranean, like Greece and those kind of nations than the rest of Italy. And I was having a lot of conversations about that, how like Italy is a patchwork of all these different societies and states and the things that were sort of brought together just in the eighteen mid eighteen hundreds as a country, but the South is very, very, very different than, mm-hmm. you know, other parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we were connected to this Mediterranean tradition in a way that yeah. I, it struck us both like emotionally and mystically. Yeah, it was, and you could hear a little bit of it on the recording, the music, but the sense of it is so hard to describe. Yeah. And plus, we didn't realize it was going to be like a, an 11 or 12 hour wedding. We thought, <laughs> you know, that's how it is over there. I just didn't yeah. know. 
just a big party of some sort, very festive, it sounded like, and like if you're going to party till you dropped, if that. Yeah, but it was really interesting. I think I mentioned it, like this one guy who was my neighbor's uh, advisor in college, he was saying how the place that they had the wedding was exactly the stereotype of what an American would think of what an Italian wedding would be like. And he was a little concerned or he was he found it a little disturbing that this was sort of like the vision of right in a, a, a an american stereotype of an italian wedding but that's exactly what it was it was weird <laughs> that he he was sort of felt like it was and i don't know if it was just you know stereotypes come from somewhere but it yeah. was there was something about that place that was so just different and amazing and not to mention like the clean air and you could see some stars and things like that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You don't really get in Jersey that much. <laughs> yep. Even though the industry there is, di well, it's not like Pittsburgh anymore. Even Pittsburgh isn't like Pittsburgh anymore. Or New York. I mean, New York used to have that sooty cloud over it, even in yeah. the 70s. But yeah, I'm, Really happy I went on that trip and uh, still processing it, still thinking about it. Yeah, well, that's that's real world traveler stuff. I mean, like like I was saying, so it, 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 it was very. It reminded me a lot of Gene Shepherd, but you were actually there as opposed to coming back and like yeah. fumbling through tapes on the air <laughs> with your engineer, which is what Shepherd would wind up doing. Yeah. They didn't have the technology, I guess, back then. And when he tried to record live, it just didn't seem to work. And, and then, then like the bad Wi-Fi in some of the places, like I started uploading the episode and it, I saw it was going to take like like 20 hours. hours to upload. <laughs> so I, at one point I had tethered, I made my phone a hotspot and that actually was a little bit better. And overnight I could upload the show, but thankfully at that Innsbruck airport it had great Wi-Fi so I could get that last episode out. Nice, but yeah, I I knew I couldn't wait because it would have been such torture as like to try to organize all the recordings afterwards to release them. Yeah, no, that's so, that. Yeah, that's unless even when I do stuff, if I don't get it done and out right away, I just lose the thread even on a short thing, much less how many hours of audio you wound up with. Ooh. I don't recall. I know the last episode was around eight hours, but. Total, yeah. yeah, it was it was quite a lot. Um, yeah, meanderer sized. Yeah, show. that was so wild. We met the meanderer finally here. Yeah, no, he didn't look a thing like I thought he would, but that usually is what happens. It's, yeah, happens. I, I hope that it's that he can continue to sort of engage with us more because he's a yeah, fast, I didn't, fascinating. I didn't well, it sounded he like he was coming out. That's what he said. This was his coming out. So, no, okay. Yeah, I know he's, you know, if you listen to his shows, he's, you know, has a lot of uh, things going on and, um, you know, trying to balance different aspects of his life. He's had to be a bit more secretive about things. And Well, after, so I didn't realize it was him till he left and you guys were saying, calling him a meander. What, so then I went and looked up his stuff on archive and the, the most recent thing I could find was like spring of 22 is that. Is that right? So his shows I release on the Internet Archive. 
for each monthly release, but it's not really on the onsug.com blog. Okay. And that was something he wanted to do that way. So, uh, right. So, so if, I, if, I, if, if you look at last month, for example, there's a ton of his shows. Okay. I um, see. Okay. Okay. He often, he can often do tens, uh, tens of hours of uh, shows per month. Yeah. He doesn't yeah, turn hear- his recorder off as he's walking around between thoughts, nor does he edit. So this yeah. will, his shows will have a half hour of just, the sound of where he's walking and birds chirping or something. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's I like always, a, yeah. It's been a while. Like, so I, I, I knew there was something like what you were saying, but I, I, so I'm glad now I know where to go find them. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I couldn't listen to all of it. I used to listen back then when I was listening to him, I was had the driving job and I just, yeah, I listened to almost everything on the network, you know. Now, now even with now, now I couldn't even if I was, even if I was driving twelve hours a day, I don't think that would be enough to 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 get through everything. But but anyway, I remember just being kind of charmed by his his little modest adventures of like having a little money and spending it at the bookstore, telling us what books he got and having a coupon for mcdonald's or something yeah not just that real life i mean and then the experience of experiencing it with them i like listening on the, the, the monthly things although i know for organization purposes it's easier to have all of this and then all of that but if it ran in actual chronological order that it was posted it would almost be like a radio station like what you're talking about, the eternal. Yeah, you would yeah. start at the beginning of the month and have this radio station going in chronological order. And but- well, you know, in in the book that I update every month, there's the section called the Grand Chronology, which does a show yeah. merges his shows in with the, the the regular chronology. So if you go use that as a reference, you can yeah you can hear like an appreciator, and then you'll hear the meander that came like right after it. So that sequence does exist in that reference mode so yeah the appreciator the the, the, i don't know i guess i did a show i interviewed that uh, musician yesterday but i've been very uh falling behind on those i have pieces of shows going but i don't know i'm in one of those not finishing things phases of life distracted well, I'm. I have uh, just over the weekend. Also, I uh, organized all the files because you know when I put the book out in 2021, I have a set of files which you should have. Right, I sent you a hard drive, PQ. It, the hard yeah. drive yeah. sits yeah. right up there. Uh, so it's the entire it archive organized. So I, I merged the past two years of shows that were in those monthly folders now into this. So I have the whole thing. That's yet, uh, the, still. The, I'm waiting for those little flash drives of a terabyte to cost like $10, but it never goes down. The terabyte flash drives or hard drives never go, have not gone down in price in like five years, which is mind boggling because they used to always go down in price. Yeah, no, they were good that they started out so crazy expensive, but yeah, now it's just holding firm, but it's going up at least everything else is $50 for a mechanical hard drive. And then, Although that uh, he posts a lot on the uh, blog Frank Panucci, 
Yeah. He gets these computers from some Walmart somewhere for like three, four hundred dollars that sound like that maybe there's something lacking that I don't understand. But that's a lot of computer. I7 and 32 gigs of RAM. And I mean, that's about as good as it gets for what we do. I mean, unless you're going to do video production, then you need a monster altogether, probably a Mac. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've been, well, for my limited video production, my old gaming laptop is fine. And yeah. uh, that program Shotcut is a great video editing program. I'm trying to limit the video content to the historic content. I still do have quite a bit to uh, go through. In fact, six hours of my grandmother's eight millimeter movies that I just transferred last week that I haven't really gone through yet. It's all silent, but it's a lot of me as a little toddler and stuff. And oh man. Family Young history Frank. and stuff. So I've been, yeah, wanting to see those for a long, long, long time. So when I have a chance, I'm going to go through and index them and maybe find the best of and kind of do something with that. Um, nice. But as opposed to making new video, I, I do feel like some of the old video stuff is worthy of uh, preservation. But it does take up a lot of space, obviously. But it's a VHS, so it's low, it's kind of low res anyway. Uh, I don't know, like it's kind of like 640 by 480 or whatever the videos are. Like there's no point in making it like 1920 by whatever because it's 1080 because it's like it's VHS. It's not. Yeah, it's not going to. I mean, it's I think so, VHS is like that home AI stuff and you can enhance yeah, it. I think VHS it, it looks like that weird model. Yeah, no, I think it's like. 360 by 240 is technically what VHS is, right? Pixel wise. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very low res, but. And that's, and that's it was so thing. sharp in the day. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, now I'm really seeing it. So I have the eight millimeter movies, but then my mother had it transferred to VHS at some point in the 90s or early 2000s. So I'm wondering, like, is it worth trying to retransfer? Like, how better would it be with the modern techniques on digital? Then transferring well, it eight mil really sharper, but uh, yeah. just, wh whether it's worth it or not, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, how many times are you going to really watch it? Is the real question. That's true. And then historically speaking, how many people that are descended from the people in the videos are going to like really care about it? Because I don't have kids, but I have relatives that have kids that are sort of in that line yeah, of descent. So. But does your brother doesn't have any kids? No. And you're sitting no. Oh, we're like the end of the line. Uh huh. Well, my my cousins have children though. My right. My, my father's sisters' uh, sons have their own daughters. So there's some oh, okay. continuity so the, there. The line is sort of sort of, and then not on Nora's though. Then on my mother's side, there's uh, yeah, no, they're they're like Johnsons. So you're the last of the Noras, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's done finished hmm. well as far as like a, a genetic uh yeah. line hopefully the audio will will keep us if alive the audio is your genetic line yeah exactly but you think about this stuff like i have all these probably thousands of photos that are combined from my both my grandparents and my parents and i want to digitize them and do something with them but then ultimately like how long down the line is anyone going to care about the people in those photos you know what i mean 
It makes yeah. you think about that. Oh, no, it's like some of the photo albums already that exist in my family. Anybody who could point to say, oh, that was Aunt Tissy, and this was Uncle Ned. Nobody ever wrote it down, and now me and my brother are looking at these yeah. photo albums, and we don't know who these people are. Oh, wasn't that maybe? Yeah, yeah on, on those movies that I glanced at some of it, there's only one person left, my uh, my Aunt Jan. She's in a lot of the movies. That would know who these other people are so i'm gonna have you to might get, want to her. get her to do an audio track yeah to... exactly like who are these people you know because that's otherwise it's just these strange people from the past yeah but it's like some 50s stuff and some 60s wow. stuff and just people like hanging out in the 60s and you know yeah yeah my cousin has a bunch then already, like I say, there's people that nobody knows who they were anymore because no, nobody, everybody died before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it makes you think about a lot of stuff. These, uh, the yeah, materials left over. Because oh, yeah, yeah. And now that we leave a track of media behind us, God, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, just people's cassette audio diaries that are popping up on archive.org. It's like you could go on forever listening to it. And or that woman who recorded every TV show she watched, and now they're digitizing it. Wow. <laughs> but eventually, you know, all that stuff is going to be gone too. You know, it's 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 not just that. Our line is ending. My line is ending too. You know, I, mm. I have no descendants. Mm. I only have a couple of cousins and they don't have any kids. And, uh, you know, but, you know, even if you leave audio behind, that's going to go away at some point. This whole thing is going away at some point, you know, and there'll be nobody, nobody to remember it. No future aliens to remember it well that's why with this project hoping that it can become defined in a way that people in the future will be encouraged to recopy and and preserve it because that's what's necessary yeah but they're going to be gone too they're well, going to be gone too they're, they're, frank's going to start a blood oath he's, he'll find someone in the next generation <laughs> yeah you'll require no, 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 this, this world is coming to an end, you know, at some point, this, this solar system, is, it, this, this sun is going to explode and consume all these planets. Oh, well, there is. Yeah, that. I don't know about, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know that that was all real, the whole planet thing, but, you know. Well, okay. <laughs> I know. I'm not saying from a flat Earth Maybe it'll just fade out then. Okay, maybe it won't explode. Maybe everything will just die. You no, know? this <laughs> world, this world, that Earth or whatever you want to call it, may not persist, but then there's so many other worlds that will continue on. That so the audio can be migrated into these other worlds. Okay. That's the idea. Okay. Okay. <laughs> They they might be missing a few cultural references. But. Well, that's where the AI translation comes in to uh, adjust the uh, the spoken word. But you explain word. what everything is so well. When I talk about things from the past, I'm not. 
you really say what you're talking about and describe it and give somebody at least a picture yeah. of these things you refer to. I got to get I that. I felt like that. I was in those alleyways in Venice. I felt like I was up there, you know, yeah. in that cable car with you and Denise. Yeah, you, you know, could have a real touch for space, that. You know, and liable to fall at any moment. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Oh, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't trust this idea that you didn't realize that this thing was supposed to come down. I <laughs> totally did not. And I was, it was a leap of faith in a way to just do it. And I mean, it didn't seem, even without the bar, it seemed somewhat safe. But as soon as I realized it, it was such a great moment to yeah, but you knew Denise was panicky, you know, and she's liable to, you know, shift in her seat and fall out. I think it was attempted murder, Frank. It's, I think it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was, I've been watching Monk lately. (laughs) Did you ever watch Monk? I've seen it. Uh, I've, I've seen it a bit, bits and pieces of it. And that guy, like uh, a Monk plot, that guy, Tom Sharpling. Uh, yeah. Who used to be on FMU? He he was a writer on Monk, right, Nate? Because I know you you're a fan of his as well. Yeah, but also even before that, I was and am a big fan of Monk. Separate from that, so okay. yeah. But doesn't it sound like a Monk plot, Nate? Oh I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're going up in going up in the uh, in the ski lift or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy intentionally leaves the leaves the bar up, and he knows that his wife panics that you know, has a fear of heights and so on, and she's liable to lose her balance and fall out. You exactly, know. yep. That, that's classic. just like a month plot. Yeah. Yep. Well, that place was like, it seemed like this easy, quick, little, fun tourist attraction, and then the further we got in, the more intense and crazy it got. So until we were at the very top of the mountain where you could still get beer. You could get beer everywhere. There, just Everywhere there's a little place to get beer. You should be able to get beer anywhere. I don't drink beer anymore, but you know. Oh, it's ubiquitous. To people need it, it. It's such a cultural, powerful beverage. I think worldwide, it. I don't know. Like, yeah, cerveza in South America. Yeah, beer is a great power. I mean, even when we were kids, there were all those beers that there aren't. They Schaefer and. <laughs> Well, in that northern part, the South Tyrol, there was the beer. But then in southern Italy, like, it's definitely not a beer area. It's wine. Yeah, they're not really, even though they have a really good beer called Icnusa, which is, uh, that's the one we tried to get. I-C-H-N-U-S-A, Icnusa. That's the one we went for because it has a really cool label. But, yeah, generally down there is not really. Valentine's. Yes. Well, Valentine's. Well, you know Valentine, that I I yeah. found there were two Valentines. There was the IPA and then the regular. And yeah. just a few months ago, I found it in this store in, in northern New Jersey, the uh, original Valentine, which because Gene Shepard, uh, you know, advertised for it. That's why I've been. It found was it. an yeah. ale, not a lager, right? Oh, uh, that was half of his advertisers were beer companies yeah. at a certain point. Am I right that it was an ale, not a lager? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. But yeah, then it was it was one of those, it was kind of like Pabst Blue Ribbon that was bought by a million different companies, reformulated or re-released, and I don't think it's still like the original one. But I think they were trying to reformulate it, but it's very hard to find anymore. The the 
brand I had, Nostalgia, I never even drank it. It was just more like one of those childhood graphic memories was Falstaff. Um, yes, that's that's one I was trying to remember. Yeah, that, I think, uh, didn't Gene Shepard do Falstaff as well? I think. Advertised Falstaff beer. May have. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone down Shepherd Lane in a while. I, sh I should get do that. When when you were mentioning that PQ about you know how he couldn't do it live and stuff and but were you talking about travels within the U.S. He didn't go overseas, did he? Oh no, he would go. Uh, there was a worldwide trip, and then there's one trip he went to the South American jungle and actually brought candy from some company to this tribe that had barely been contacted by civilization and came back and told this story. He wow. and uh, he went to Israel there. Okay. Did they like Yeah, it? I never come I never came on those. So okay, I'll go looking. Cool. Yep. And no, of he, course, and of course him hanging out with the Beatles. That was cool. Oh yeah, that that was some assignment, and boy, he just was having none of them in their nonsense. He thought they were just a bunch of crazy kids who, in a couple of years, would be back working in yeah. a garage somewhere or something. Yeah, I think all the stuff I listened to, it was like stories from his past, and then maybe current stuff like riding the bus or you know, I don't know. Just um, okay, so interesting. But yeah, but he, you gave you gave me the idea, Frank. Though that uh, any of this could be made up, though. <laughs> uh, well, Frank's there. I, that, that that's a little different. With but Gene Shepard, from all accounts, even if he just came back from somewhere, a good percentage of what he said is a little storytelling and gilding the lily, as they right, call it. Right. That's why he referred to himself as a raconteur, which is a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I wasn't actually referring to Frank saying it was he was made up his thing. Yeah. I I was thinking of this thing about Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, Shepherd, the one biographer who just died recently that Eugene Bergman passed on recently. Uh yeah, he revealed a lot. Uh, he did the research and a lot of what he said. I mean, if you just think about it, he talks about having fudgicles when he was in elementary school. And he was in elementary school long before there was such a thing as right. a fudgicle and so forth but but he did actually go to south america uh yeah the the right. stories that they're based in factual events and okay. i think a lot of that it was is pretty factual because he came back fresh and it was just such yeah. an odd experience i mean okay i'm not going to spoil the material but I think it's a couple of episodes he takes. Originally, another host named Barry Farber, who, if you listen to New York radio, knew who he was, was invited to go. And he wasn't going into the jungle. So he <laughs> pushed it off on Shepard, and Shepard went. Huh. Well. I guess I am going to part our company. I got, uh, I should. Get to yeah, this we've stuff. we've uh, sailed past a long one. we've sailed past the four hour mark, so I guess it's time to uh, bring this exit ramp to a close. This has been quite a historic exit ramp. Uh, so many earlier, so many uh, Carrie, Michelle, Ruben, Meanderer, uh, Bob. I mean, so many uh, fairly rare, well, for two first times, and then 
yeah, it's been an amazing show. So thanks everyone for patching in who's still here. Jan, Eric in Norway, Doc Slees in England, Dave in Kentucky, Nate in Wisconsin, PQ in New Mexico, and me here in New Jersey. Yep. Thanks it's been for good to uh, be here. Yeah, thanks for patching in to the Exit Ramp, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. All righty. Bye bye. Bye everybody. Bye.